football game. I'm at the grocery store. What? I'm at the combination football game and grocery store. Wait, you're at the football game What? and the grocery store? Nah. I'm at the combination football game and grocery store. Groceries through Instacart delivered to my door. I don't have to choose between football and the grocery store. If your life was a movie, what would be the turning point for you? Prison. Because I remember lying there when I was 19 with not a clue what I was going to do when I came out. When I was in there and they locked the door, your liberty is gone. I remember sat there and I said, I will, I will never, ever come back to a place like this. My mum was, um, and my dad, my stepdad smoked a lot of weed. My mum drank a lot. It was a very intense um, house to be in because... My stepdaddy didn't like me. Where did the love for football start? Can you remember that moment? Or... <laughs> I think that that's when people liked me. Because I knew I was good at that stage, eight, nine, started to, I was really good. That's when the love came, because it's something that I was good at. Th that's some deep-rooted shit, though, isn't it? When you think about that your love of football came from feeling like accepted because that's what you've been missing earlier on. The David Rowcastle death is something that I don't think I'll ever get over. The hard thing about it, was the phone calls. When I think of the phone calls, you, you go back to your childhood, you think back to when he was nine and 10, because I can't, I can't deal with the fact that at 33 he was gone. I'm very God-fearing, you know what I mean? I had to be because my mum was, and we had to do all that sort of stuff, but that's when I had my arguments with, with, with God. It makes you question life, man, it really does. It does, and the thing is, is that with, uh, with religion and all that sort of stuff, you have to have faith. This is why I do feel very fortunate with the, the way it's gone for me. Mm. You know what I mean? I, 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 honestly, now I've got a missus, uh, my two little girls, you know, I've got a missus that is just amazing. Mm. She's perfect. I just want to be remembered for the, per for, the, for the person that got the opportunity and did the very, I rang it out. I rang it out. There's nothing left in that rag to squeeze out, and that's all I want to be remembered for. What's it called? You see, with Al, mm. what people don't understand is that when you're, when we're in the match of the day office, you know, when you see Al do those rants where he says inept, this, that, do, he's not. He, you know that he's not. He's not vexed with Rafa. He's not vexed with the players. He's vexed with the fact that the situation can't get any better, mm. and he can't really do. He can't really do and say too much, but like, just the, the man, honestly, you know what it means to him, Newcastle. Mm. You know, he's, he's God up there, you know, I, honestly. I love it. I love when I go up. And so I saw, where's that, Shearer, Alan Shearer way or something? I oh, see. man. <laughs> I said, people don't understand, right? Like, Arsenal, they've got all the legends around the stadium. Yeah. Like, we couldn't do that in Newcastle, man. We have, we've just be Shearer, pretty much. Yeah, you but you know what's really, what's really quite, um, Sad for me, right, is seeing where the, the, the statue had to be situated. Yeah, what was that about? It, well, obviously, it's got, got to have something to do with your man, yeah. the top, the, the, your top man there. Yeah. Well, because they changed for, the name of the bar. It was Shiraz Bar, yeah, and yeah. it became nine. And then for, for it to be outside where it is, down the road a little bit. Yeah, it should be you know, right. It should be in... At the fucking end. Right at the... Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you know? Like Michael Jackson. Fucking, you know what I mean? Fucking Michael Jackson. Can we just treat him as good as Fulham like Michael you Jackson? I mean? Do you know what I mean? Is it too much to ask for someone to treat Shearer like Fulham treated Michael Jackson? Oh. He was inside the stadium. Have you seen they're making a new documentary about Michael Jackson with uh, HBO, I think. Seriously? Like, I'll have to watch that. That, um, that weird guy who he taught how to dance. He was the one who did all the X Factor dance routines or something right, like that. Right, right. And uh, he's in it because he previously went to the trial 
and was like, nah, he never did know to me. Yeah. And now he's in the documentary and the people are saying he's going to be like, oh, he- I, I lied. <gasps> and like... So, because, I mean, there's no you can do now, but... Yeah, yeah, but the thing is, I get the impression, like, um, with Michael Jackson that, you know, because he meant so much to me when I was growing up, mm. I got the impression that Michael Jackson just got them people, them kids and, and those, those youngsters around the house, to literally, because we're talking about a, a grown man who's a child, he's a genius, but he's... And, like, to literally show off and do stuff like, mm. this is my giant candy floss machine. <laughs> you can you can eat candy floss all day. It, it was when the cleaners came out and started being like, oh, yeah, like shit went down that I was like oh because I grew up loving Michael Jackson as yeah. well and I was like oh fuck yeah he is weird it's one he, of those he, he's man. so weird you just don't know it's the know. same yeah but the thing is it's as 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 like like Bill Cosby mm-hmm. like fuck man that was the worst one wasn't it yeah but we're talking about one of the one of the greatest you know he came through what he what, you know what I mean when he came through the, the, the comedy side and, and you know you'd, you'd hear people like Richard Pryor saying things like you know what I mean? Yeah, you know what I mean? He, he's, he's digging out Eddie Murphy for swearing and doing this and that in his concerts. He's drugging women. And he's drugging women. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? People, and, and it was well known. Yeah. It was well known that, like, uh, people would say, you know, to, to women who are working on, in the production crew of him, watch him, don't go near him. Mm-hmm. You know, it's well known. So why, why didn't people just out him? And he was like... The the American dad, the ultimate like Homer Jesus Simpson Christ, and Bill Cosby. the Cosby's Cosby. man. Yeah, the Cosby's was the ultimate like family show where mm. you watch it with the all the morals and all the the the, 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 the stories and you know it, it was it was like you think to yourself, God Almighty, talk about absolutely fucking just de- just destroy your whole childhood perception of mm. the guy. Mm. I, dis- I dislike him with a passion like saying yeah. R. Kelly man oh yeah R. Kelly he's got a fucking documentary it's like we can't have people you can't hold anyone up now can you because you're scared to hold them up because you're like everyone <laughs> everyone's getting fucking accused though they're you know fucking I mean? um, Ronaldo's got some fucking shit going on in the background Chris Brown's just had someone exactly getting him arrested there's rumours about another sports star and I'm not even going to mention mm. who that is but uh, you know We've all seen the WhatsApp group. Um, yeah, but even with R. Kelly, mm. you know, you listen to the songs, you, even the songs, you know, my mind's telling me no. But my body's body. body. telling <laughs> He's actually telling us what he's doing. He's telling me yes. <laughs> She's no, saying no, Kelly. Kelly. No. Leave her alone, motherfucker. Don't touch her. Don't touch her. Stop your, it. Your fucking mind's right. <laughs> your body's right. Which one was it? Is uh, my mind's telling me no. Yeah. But, uh, listen to that bit. The mind, to, not your body. Your have a one mate <laughs> fucking exactly. hell you know I mean what's wrong with you mm-hmm. knock one out <laughs> Jesus Christ now you can't have idols anymore you no. can't you can't do that thanks for the coffees thanks a lot Lover. he's not he's not actually the coffee boy coffee guy okay. he's just a yeah. he's just a good lad like that if there's you? anything I could Cheers, go bro. with it Brian it would be the fame side of it I think it's the most overrated thing in the world 100% Fame is yeah. overrated, bro. If I could do YouTube without it, I would be more than happy. You know, it's it's very it's, it's very much overrated. Like, let me take this out. Yeah, I didn't know how long you like it. Well, how does how does a man take his tea? Yeah, it's bro. so personal. It's personal, isn't it? It's really personal. It's personal. I don't like other people really making my tea. We, we, you know what I mean? we, we, we just sort of uh, hit the ground running, as you'd expect. I realise that. Uh, ladies and oh, gentlemen, no. True Geordie podcast guest, the legend. The, uh, the, one of my favourite footballers of all time. Yeah. But to be honest with you, 
not because of what you were like on the pitch. You were a great footballer, mm. but your personality, like you appealed to me as um, a Jack the Lad piss taking yeah. type of lad, you know what I mean? A bit of banter about you. And uh, you, of all, among a say of. No offence, but Michael Owens, you just <laughs> come on. Chris Suttons, you, know, you, sh- you shot out. You know what I mean? I you love that. What it was? I was saying it. To, I was saying to somebody the other day. It was my the rejection um, from from the age of like I started playing at eight. The rejection from the age of twelve. I think, and you know what I mean. I, I had trials with like wrote to all the London clubs. I had trials with with Palace and 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 Charlton and and stuff like that. And Orient didn't get answers from the rest of them. Didn't make any trials. And so I played fo- Sunday morning football, and you just. It's all about jokes and fun and trying to score great goals. And, you know, afterwards, drinking, um, you know, lager and lime. You know what I mean? You brought, like, that working man's attitude to the game. I feel like that's dead. I remember I played against Artlepool. And, um, you know, this is when I was at my height at Arsenal. And one of the players, I think his name is McGuckin or something like that. I can't remember. But, like, he was just whizzing the tunnel. And he's saying, fucking give it big time. I said, big time? I said, you're about to fucking walk out in front of 38,000. Of course it's big time. He said, you're a Sunday morning player. I said, I know, but now I'm playing for Arsenal (laughs) as a Sunday morning fucking player. You know what I mean? I said to him, that's not, I actually said to him while we was playing, I actually scored a hat-trick in the game. I actually said to him while I was playing, it's actually, you know, you couldn't have given, you couldn't have paid me a bigger compliment. I'm a Sunday morning footballer who's now a professional footballer, but I've never lost my Sunday morning roots. Mm. You know what I mean? Going out all night on Saturday and then going straight to the game on a Sunday morning. And this is why I didn't think I was any good. Because obviously I got rejected so many times in the trials. And I was playing against like pub blokes and scoring four and five goals. And this is where I suppose I honed the just try anything finish. Mental, yeah. Just try anything finish. Anything. What comes into your head. And I never, never stopped that. When I went to Palace, Steve Koppel said that. Never change how you, what you are. We signed you for what you are now. Hone that. You know, when you were playing at that level, like the, not the, the palace level, but the Sunday morning level, mm. did people come over to you afterwards and go, you got something special? No, or was it what? just like, it's just Ian? No, no, no. What it was is that people knew of me because everybody in the community and all around knew that I had trials and knew I was good. And there was always competitions, like there was a Supermort competition where literally every black team in and around London would go to Rains Park and it would be like a World Cup competition for that weekend. And, you know what I mean, a lot of people would come and watch me because everybody's heard of this guy playing Sunday morning football who's not bad, scoring three and four goals a game. And it's really weird because I played in it from the age of like 16 to 21. And we got to the, we got to the final at 20, when I was 20, 21. And I, I get signed to Palace, I couldn't play in the final. <laughs> absolutely gutted. And the, and, the, and the final was at Mitcham, tra- Crystal Palace's training ground. Supermodel at halftime? Super, well, to be honest, and nutriment. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Good choice. Good choice. I, I re- obviously, I've done uh, a lot of research on you. And one thing that, surpro- well, it kind of seemed to creep in at one point is self doubt. Like when, mm. it, when it all went tits at Brighton, yeah. it seemed like you were just like, oh, nah. Like, what was it like being, because we're looking at you, you've had such a career, but it might not have happened. It was no, on a knife edge. Fucking absolutely. So close to not, not you not being sat here and being this mm. guy. So, what, what was that? Because I've not really heard you describe what it was that actually got you there to go and try out for Crystal Palace fucking, after Brighton messed it was, you up. It was luck. Because the Brighton was a, a really low time. I'd just I'd not, long, I'd not long come out of prison for driving offences. Mm. And so I was low as it was. Um, Sean was something like... Sean, I just adopted Sean. You know what I mean? Adopting Sean, I didn't even have a, didn't even have a penny on me. But you know what I mean? It was um, a situation where I think that that was my lowest point. 
I came out of um, the prison. My mum didn't want me in and around the house anymore. So I moved out. That's when I moved in with, with Sharon. But that was probably my lowest point. There's so much to dissect there. So... Uh, so you went to prison. Was, mm. it, was it a short period of time? Wasn't yeah, it? I went in. For, it worked out to about twenty-one days for non-payment of fines because I, I had two cars when I was seventeen with no papers, mm. no tax, was no MOT, no insurance. People have asked me, Voxel about this. Viva and um, Fiat One Two Five <laughs> Brown and Beige. Just wanted to get that image. I love getting that image. <laughs> so the ba- it was beige at the top and brown at the bottom with wolf race <laughs> wheels, no bumpers on the front. Worth it. And, and Worth it, the prison time. To be honest, classic. Yeah. You know something? Um, you, you say that, Bri, but. The, the fact is, is that that 21 days in prison, because we'd never been in tr- tr- trouble with the police, any of my family, um, apart from my brother throwing milk bottles in a lift and they got in trouble from the police. Well done that. <laughs> but the thing is, is that in and around um, that time, um, when, I was, when, I, when I came out, it's, it shaped me. It made me realise, because I'm not a thief. I'm not somebody that's in trouble with the police. I've got to work. Didn't do well enough in school. Left school at 13. Just, just turning 14, went straight in, onto a building site. The first thing I had to do when I left school and I was 14 was, was um, I had to turn, like they put three yards of ballast and we had to do um, a foundation in a house mm-hmm. and, I, I, and I had to literally fucking mix up fucking wow. three yards of, of, of cement on my first day, 14. You're not a big lad either. Like at 14, you must have <sighs> And you know what, I'm going You must have looked like a child. Then. I was, I was skinny. I was mm. very skinny. But you know, they, and when you do the, the, the bonding for the plastering, which the guy was trying to teach me, they, they've got a whisker now. You can whisk it. You had to do that with a stick. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah right. So by the time you finish, you're, you're, and then, so when I finished doing that, <laughs> that three yards of ballast, my back was, it's was, it was like jelly. Mm-hmm. And you know, when I was walking, I, could, I literally couldn't walk because my back was like jelly and it made me realise well that was when I was 40 and I said jeez I can't do this it's too mm. fucking hard mm. and that's when you realise Jesus Christ I've never, I never done well enough in school I'm going to be manual labour and it took me all that time up to when I came out of prison to say right I'm going to try and fight, find the trade and do the plastering the brickwork stuff and that's what I tried when I came out of prison that's what I went to try and do so your mother was like, stay away from the house. What was your relationship with like with her before then? What was that? When when when, when I was younger, because my mum, my mum was um, and my dad, my stepdad smoked a lot of weed. My mum drank a lot. It was very, it was a very intense um, house to be in because my stepdad he didn't like me. Mm-hmm. Um, my older brother came from Jamaica when he was like ten. We didn't really bond. Um, my brother Morris, who's my immediate to me, was the one who you know what I mean. He's my guy. He was the one. It was very. It was rough, rough in the house. Mm-hmm. You know, it was a time, like I remember one of the stories that people always come up to me and they hug me to say about not being able to watch Match of the Day because I had to turn to the wall while you heard the music. So the telly would be there and the bed, we lived in a one bedroom, one bedroom um, room we had in the house and the bed would be here, my mum's bedroom over there, I had a single bed and it, it'd just say, turn around, turn around to the wall. So you couldn't actually watch it. So it was that kind of stuff. And then, you know, I mean, you, can you imagine? You Do you mean just it? cruel for the sake of it? Just for the sake of it, just because yeah. he could. And um, that was one of the, the biggest things. My brother used to, when they used to be fighting and arguing, my brother would go like that to my ears. Right. So I couldn't hear it because it would make you cry. And it was that kind of, it was always quite a volatile um, place until he, if they finally broke up and left and that sort mm. of stuff. But his he's, he's daughter, my, my sister, Dion, she was a nightmare. We'd be in a room, and like if it's just me and her, and like my mum and her, she'd just go ah, and they'd come in, bam, wouldn't even ask a question. My mum, mm. 
bam, just yeah. clip something like that, and she would do that right on a regular basis because she knew she'd get away with that. So the the household was was quite suppressive because obviously I couldn't. I, I was very violent when, when I was younger. I was ready to fight like that. Bam. So because my brother would hold you down, hold me down to the point where I think he's going to choke me out, and then just when I think I'm choke out, he'd let you go. And then my other brother would do the same thing because I was so. I just like I, I just try and steam into him and get, see if I could get a punch in before they do what they do. So when I went outside, and then I, so I couldn't couldn't get no joy from my brother in respect of anything. My step my stepdad was giving me a nightmare. My mum would clip me. My older brother would choke me out. My other brother would, <laughs> would practice choking out, choke me out. My sister would act like I've just fucking done something to her. So you go outside. And you're playing football, you start playing football. If anyone touches it, I'm literally bam, turned into yeah. the Tasmanian devil. Just fighting everyone. Where did, where did the love for football start? Can you remember that moment or what it I was? Think, um, we, I think we used to go and stay with my cousins in Hatfield. And I remember they called me Little Pelly. And this is when I was like eight, went to Hatfield. Um, and, you know, when I think that that's when people liked me when I played when I played football, everybody, he's on our side. We want him on our side. And um, when I realised, when I was, because I knew I was good at that stage, eight, nine, started to, I was really good. Um, you know, this is why it was such a nightmare when I didn't get into anything and people used to tease me about it. Um, but that's when the love came because it's something that I was good at. It's the sense of acceptance. Mm. I felt like that, yeah. And even like to a, to a certain extent, once my brothers started watching me, they could see that. I was... That's some deep rooted shit, though, isn't it? When you think about that, your love of football came from feeling like accepted because that's what you'd been missing earlier on. Like well, maybe, maybe. And the thing about it is, is that I, when I had to latter stages, and I had to start seeing a counsellor um, about the anger issues, a lot of it stemmed back to there. Once you know, because when I went there for the first couple of months, just lied, right. just went in and never even told her the truth. When something happens to your car, you might say, No! My car! But what you really need to say is something that can actually help. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And just like that, State Farm is there to help you file your claim right on the State Farm mobile app. So, just remember, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. You know what I mean? She said stuff to you, like, and then I remember one time um, when we we sat there and I must have, didn't say anything for maybe 25 minutes and I was like, ah. and she's saying, listen, Ian, you're, you're paying you're paying very good money to do this. If you're going to come here and lie, um, <coughs> because honestly, when she said it, I was like, you know, you get, fucking hell. You feel like something, what's going on? She's fucking in you. your head. <laughs> she's in your head. And, I, and she said that. And then to be honest, when she said that, I fucking burst into tears. And I just blasted it. I told her what, literally what I told you. Now it's made it a lot easier for me to be able to to share it with people now because I I, I went through a lot of problems with it because my mum and all the family and everybody was saying once I started telling them, yeah, my mum drank a lot. And when I started to go to when I went to Arsenal, I used to go to the steps with people like Tony and and and, and Merce, mm. you know, friends of Bob that used to go to their meetings, and they used to ask me stuff. I used to I used to tell them, yeah, about my mum, and they used to say, well. You know, you should see if you can get her in. You know what I mean? It was one of those situations where the family, fucking, they hated me. Especially, when was it? It came out, remember that Nothing to Something? Yeah. Well, that, that documentary where my face is there. When that came out, fucking family just literally just went, bam, fuck you. Because I told the truth. 
You know what I mean? There's a lot of stuff that was happening when I was younger, people telling me how much they hated me. If you're going to bring the kids around, don't bring the little one, was the thing they used to say. You know what I mean? And some of the times I'd go to someone's house and you'd smash mm. something off of their table and then you know, my mum would argue. You know what I mean? So it was, it was really... It's know, one of those things... I, it's just fucking like that all the time. You know I, I mean? I, I'm good friends with a woman who's like 56 years old. She always says to me... You should always respect children because one day you might wish you had have done. Mm. And I feel like this is a classic case of that, you know, because some that kid in the corner eventually grew up. Yeah, but be. the thing is, Brian, it's like you say that, and it's fucking happened. To me. It's happened. Mm. It's happened in my life. Mm. All of a sudden, everybody was shunning you. I don't want nothing to do. When, <clears> I, when I broke through at Palace, and we'll talk about how I actually got into Palace. Mm. All of a sudden, I've turned into the matriarch of the family. I was the one. I was in charge of everybody. Fucking, I mean, I. I'd be at home on a Sunday, we'd play a game, be home on a Sunday, it'd be like fucking people rolling up to Don Corleone, Don Corleone, we need this, the mm. family hasn't got that and they need to Right, see, we need a new <laughs> car. You help me right in place. I see your match of the day, it's not good. <laughs> but with a Jamaican accent, yeah, obviously. Yeah, that's not Jamaican accent, that's what, that's what yeah. it is. But I that's think, what it was like. So, yeah. No, it was, it t- so I've turned into the, the, the child... Like the, the Bob Marley song, the cornerstone that the builder refuses in the morning becomes the head cornerstone in the evening. That is ex- exactly yeah. what happened to me. Mm. I became the most important thing in the family. When you were so going back to when you were a kid, there's a video that a lot of people have asked me to mention, and that's the the teacher video, Mr. Pigden. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, it's just an emotional one because uh, we all want someone who believes in us. And, and the first and he, person ever, Brian. He seemed to be that the guy. first person, the first I, man as well. Like first big, man, yeah, absolutely, Lawrence, the first man, and this is why. Um, you know, I still have moments where, like even I say, I, I, you know, with my goals, when, when he realised, when I started playing football and he saw that I could play, he was the one who told me about, told me about Jimmy Greaves and passing it into the net, giving the goalkeeper no chance. Score a beautiful goal, Ian, where the goalkeeper can't blame anyone. He can't even dive. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what he would always say to me. But I remember the first time we met, was, I had problems in the classroom with paying attention. Um... <laughs> Seriously, you know, as soon as I didn't get what they were saying, I just kind of got disruptive I was, and I'd get put outside the classroom. And um, what never happened, changed, no, no, yeah. no. And, and what happened was, is that a couple of times Mr. Pigden would walk past and he was, um, he always looked so smart, dark suits. He had those black Oxford shoes on, um, what were really shiny because he was an army man. He was a, he was a pilot um, in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the Royal Air Force. Always smart, and he fucking walked past me and look at me, and remember I was so small. And he, he's 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 the person. This is why even when you mention his name, it makes me get myself right, fix your business up, mm-hmm. um, because I was I like this. And he went in the classroom on about the third occasion. He saw me out there, and he went in and spoke to Mrs. Dance. And um, when he came out, he just came out and said, "Follow me, come with me." And so I came, went with him, and from then he had me as like he. Gave me private tuition. It was almost like I remember I had to read the, the books: um, Roderick the Red, Gregory the Green, and Benjamin the Blue. Mm-hmm. You know, I used to read those books because I was really struggling. In, my writing wasn't great for a seven-year-old, and, that, and he just sorted me all, sorted everything out. And when I started playing football, and when I used to when I used to get angry, he'd take me off, 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 and he'd and I'd stand there, I'd be like <laughs> crying because if you're losing, if I was losing, I'd start crying. And I start lashing out. And he was the per- first person that would say, Ian, count to 10. Count to 10. Has it worked? And I'd go. And he said, do you want to go back on? I'd go, yes. Are you going to stop crying? Say, well, when you stop crying, you could go back on. You ever try to stop fucking crying when you're, tr- when you're crying? Yeah. <laughs> 
everything has to stop, he'd say. Everything. And to the point I was like, listen, he'd say, you're running out of time. <laughs> you know what I mean? He'd mm. say stuff like that. And then I'd get myself calm and he'd calm me down. And then I'd go on a pitch and play. He was the first person that really showed caring and love that way from a, a man. Mm. A man that showed and, and really, it, he invested in me. And so, um, so that's, the, that's the, the, the background of him. So I was doing a television program where I couldn't find him for two, three years. The teachers couldn't get in touch with him. Everybody else said, no, we've not seen him. We've, we, we're not sure where he is. We think he may have passed because we've not heard him. We're talking about two, three years of trying to find him. And it was difficult, very difficult, because I couldn't get in touch with none of the old teachers, even from the school. They couldn't find people. And so it's one of those. And I, and I just remember that I had to do this television program and they was talking to me about him. And I said, yeah, I, th I think he's passed away because, you know, I've been trying to get, rid get, get in touch with him for for years and no one could find him. Um, and obviously the television the television people found him. And, you know, I was there speaking about stuff and then he just came from behind me. And what, you know, the first thing I've done, I just took my hat off. <laughs> Straight away, sharpened up. The first thing I've done, like I said, I just took my hat off. And because I was, it was so surprising to see him, <laughs> um, and he, he said, Ian, how are you? Just fucking, I feel like I'm gonna go now, and because he was like three, three steps. Oh, up, you look like a giant. I was still, yeah. So mm. I was hugging him, and I was around his waist, mm. and he was saying things like, "I'm so proud of you. You've done really well." And listen, I said, "I thought you was dead," and he said, "Well, I'm very much alive, you know." <laughs> and it was a situation where after that we, we we stayed in touch. But I remember he came to watch me. He what? He, he, he didn't want to make. He didn't make a fuss didn't want to come to some of the games. He came yeah. to a couple of games. I remember he, he, he saw he saw a game I scored um, at Palace. I think it was playing against Brighton. And it was a game where we there was like five penalties in the game or something. And I scored a left foot shot. What he, he, Every time we spoke, he always, he always talked about it. But the thing about him was, is that he was one of the pilots that when we won the Second World War, he's the one who used to talk to me about the trenches and people going over the top. Um... He was one of the pilots chosen as the 18 pilots to do the flyover Buckingham Palace. And he said that when I played for England, it was the proudest moment of his, his life. Wow. Because all he wanted to do was teach. And you know what I mean? To be, be the pupil that made him realise that teaching is all he wanted to do. That was, that, that was beyond me to comprehend. This, Even now when I think me of... of I recently watched a Mike Tyson interview with Joe Rogan. And yeah, I've got to watch that. I've got just, to watch that Just one. making um, Customado happy was all he wanted it wasn't really about the boxing exactly. as much as it just was making, happy. making someone like your mentor yeah. happy is like mm. ultimate goal like. it is it, I don't think you can and he's the one and no matter what was, I, I just wish that he was in and around me a, a little bit more um, for my hedonistic years oh yeah you know because you might have listened to him <laughs> I probably would have because like I say <clears throat> going back to all of a sudden my, my guidance from a young age wasn't good. I didn't get good guidance from a stepdad, my older brother. Morris tried with me, but by the time it didn't work. I didn't get good guidance. So, you know, looking around at people and, you know, people had girlfriends all over the place. Yeah. It was, it wasn't, I didn't have the upbringing that could guide me and let me realise that this isn't, this isn't the way to, to, I, to I personally, I, I was raised without, like, um, my dad was in my life, but kind of, but not really, if yeah. that makes sense. I feel it's really hard to become a man without having... That yeah. man who's yeah. there to put and go, you, 
mm. you know like you yeah. need to fucking shut up right yeah. now like, yeah yeah I, and I you feel, need that yeah i became a worse person for having mm. like that uh you know it's like when pinocchio's in with all the jackasses like you know you yeah. just turn into one yourself yes you, know you do and uh I, I think i needed a good hiding a few times like well to be honest it was one of those situations where i remember um I started to, when it would have been like 16, 17s, mm-hmm. where I got a good hiding um, from a guy who turned out to turn into my best mate, one of my best mates. His name was Carl. He's a really good footballer. We played in the Super Bowl together. And, um, you know what I mean? Because <clears throat> I was the guy and everybody knew I was a guy playing for 10B and was playing at the park and I was doing my stuff. And then me and Carl had this kind of altercation. And then I kind of went over to like, I said, what do you fuck? And then he went, Bam! Fucking head butted me. Boop, knocked me. <laughs> fucking knocked. And like everybody, to a man, you know what I mean. Obviously, they wanted to say I was all right and that, but to everybody, said you fucking deserve that. Uh-huh. You've been, you've, you've had that coming for a long time. Yeah. Because what was happening was, is that while I was getting more and more prominent in the non-league football Sunday morning game, I was getting a bit too fucking full of myself. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I was getting too full on myself because I was scoring twos and three goals a game. You know what I mean? I'd always, I, was, I was on a messy kind of fucking thing in the non-league, bro. Non-league messy? Yeah, I was non-league, I was non-league messy, bro. I was scoring <laughs> at least a goal That's the name game. of the podcast. The non-league messy. <laughs> non-league it's better for clicks, it. isn't it? You know, it's better for clicks. You put messy in the title. You know the thing is, is that I didn't actually... This is why, this is where the finishing and not bothering about how the finishing mm-hmm. when I got into the professional game... I didn't care about, I tried things because the worst thing that's going to happen once I realise in a professional game is people are going to go, oh, or they're going to fucking think, my God, what unbelievable goal. So there's no Mm. downside to trying things. And that's where it came from, scoring all those goals in Sunday morning football. But like I say, I didn't think I was any good. So I wasn't really having myself. Mm -hmm. But I, 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 I got bigger, got stronger. You know what I mean? Some of the times we'd have to, we'd go into places like Deptford, um, Thamesmead, like the Ferrier Estate and Sid, Bro- Sid He's in Cup. That, like rough areas in London. Fucking rough areas. Yeah. And you're talking about an all black team, except the fucking goalkeeper, of course. No one fucking wanted to go and go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and Ag, we had a goalkeeper. Made, he was the one always kicked off our goalkeeper mm-hmm. because obviously they'd say something to him like fucking nigger lover or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then he'd fucking have it. And then everybody, then it steams it. Wow. We used to have to leave places. It was like fucking warriors mm-hmm. getting out of some <laughs> of these places in the car parks, people running battles in the car it's, parks. It, it's mental, isn't it? It's like people take shit so seriously. <laughs> no, no. Literally, it doesn't matter if you win or lose, lads. Like, yeah, it really is not going to change your life at this when level. When you go to when you go to when you go to places like Deptford, and you know you're literally you know that you're you're playing in a, in an area where it's just Millwall supporters. Yeah, the Millwall supporters come down because they're Millwall fans who are playing. You ended up you end up fighting. You end up having running battles to get out of Deptford, get out of there fighting. Did you enjoy that? A little yeah, something. Bit. It was something that I think it kind of catered to that anger inside because, like, it was me, my mate, my my, 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 mate, my best friend Conrad was playing at the time. We could have a row. Freddie, Steve Elka, you know Tony Palmer, you know what I mean, um, like Errol Palmer, you know Steve Cha- like Steve Chambers, you know what I mean. These people wanted to fight. They wanted to fight. You know what I mean. So it was one of those situations where you knew that once it kicked in, bam, everyone's in. You was, was all in. So going from that to Crystal Palace yeah. it was was that like almost perfectly shaped you because then when you get to that level you're like we're not fucking fighting after this game we're just <laughs> chilling out you know what I mean going for a meal uh, is it like a few drinks this is nice you know what was, no, what was good is, is that when I remember when I got into Palace it was 85 mm. people were still kind of giving you a little bit of abuse and racial abuse mm. and stuff like that where did you think to yourself 
Is this really your fucking abuse? Yeah. Fuck oh, yeah. yeah. I used to have to fucking run fight. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? It was, it was something that was very easy to deal with when you're, when you're right there. Because you're hardened to it now. Yeah, you was. Because like the, 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 I didn't realise that the, I honed all my, what I needed for the professional game, apart from the fact that I had that red mist I could go like that. That was something that I had to control all the way through. Mm. But in respects of getting wound up on a Sunday, they couldn't say anything to me from the professional level that's going to um, bother me more than these guys sitting on a Sunday morning who were literally fucking jumping off trampettes to fucking tackle you. You know what I mean? So <laughs> I wasn't really afraid of what they were doing. I love it. You know, so I found it very, very easy to take, but the, the outright in your face from the angry crowd just giving you... St- was yeah. one of the things that was like, that was, when that happens to you for the first time, a real proper, like what we see, Raheem said, a real proper blast of, 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 of uh, racism. Yeah. It fucking stops you in your tracks. Yeah, because obviously I've got no fucking idea what that's like from every <laughs> angle. I don't want to take it to be a footballer. I don't want to take it to be a black footballer. I've gotten, so what, what, what's the actual emotion that's that a, goes through your body at that point? That's a stripping of your... Um, that's a stripping of you as a person that you, it, unless you um, experience um, ra- like a real being racially abused, mm-hmm. you can't really get into it. It's almost, it's, it's, it's making you feel like you're standing there naked and people are just fucking abused. It, it's being stripped of all your dignity because you've got to be the person that stands there and takes that and turn the other cheek, like Martin Luther King said. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because you have to do that to, up to this day. And it's, it's, it's a feeling that it doesn't just like, so it happens and you carry on playing mm. and it's fine because you, that is with you all the time you're playing. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember hearing Paul Canneville say he stopped warming up close to the lines. He warmed up in the middle of the pitch so mm. he didn't have to get it. It's, it's something that you just can't, you, you, yeah. you, I can't explain it to you. I, I watched that you the dressing room, Bri, the boys, you know, people, it's okay, don't worry about oh, it, just yeah. keep playing. It's a hard one to deal with. I watched the documentary that you did. Yeah, uh, it, it was shocking for me. Like, because I really, my first game I went to was 1997, uh, Newcastle. Uh, and I remember that game, someone called David Ginola a fucking French twat. Yeah. And I remember going to my mum, like, oh, that's not a very nice thing to say, <laughs> is it? So I'd never known how like it. But yeah. that was as close as I'd heard. That's yeah. as bad as it got in Newcastle. Yeah, that was, yeah. that was yeah. pretty bad, but. Um, yeah. Uh, he was having a bad game. But yeah. the thing is, <laughs> the thing is uh, when I watched your documentary, I was like, wow. Like, I, I, to me, it felt like it, it was way, way further away. It, I didn't realise yeah. how how, close it, how close it was to the pro, uh, present day, yeah. how bad it was. Yeah, like, you, you say that, Brian. Mm. Even we, we, like Roscoe, my man, my manager, and that now we, we, we still get in people saying to us, they are so grateful for, to show it. We know we've already changed um, we've changed the attitudes of young kids because mm. when they saw that and saw, we're talking about what, 40 years maybe mm. um, of, of of racial abuse and mm. you can go further back and then they, you go further back and then what they've done, they've gone further back to find out what's going on and brought themselves up to speed and they know how wrong that is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it, it's done something in that respect to make, and that's how you're going to have to deal with racism. You're going to have to grow it out of people. It's going to have to be grown yeah. out of generations and that is... What you do, you just got to put a show like this so people can see it. You know, all you get as, as a black person, if you if you highlight racism, you you will be um, accused of playing a race card. And oh, here we go again. People feel like me as a black guy, I've got the answers. It's not simple. Racism is complex. It goes back far. 
This is why when you see all of a sudden you get some a black guy go on the radio for four minutes to try and um, talk about it. Apart from John Barnes, who was magnificent. John Barnes amazing. unbelievable. Yeah. But the fact is, is that what you need is that yeah. for a longer period of time. People have got to know that there's not a lot of anger in it from black people. Yeah. When at, you've got people who can speak eloquently about it and concisely yeah. so different time as well back Absolutely. in 85 back in 85 because you could be overtly racist and people wouldn't bat an eyelid Dude, in the same way when I was yeah. watching the TV presenter oh, I'm like what the fuck <laughs> yeah, what did he just say yeah, but this is why this is why where we are now of course we've, we've moved on because the mere fact that you you're outraged thinking my god did he just say that these are like respected yeah yeah. You know, you saw John Barnes and Peter Beardsley were under a sign. It had the NF sign on it. Mm. Yeah. That's, how, that's how much we yeah. accepted accepted it. And so, you know, it's a situation where, you know, like I said, it will be something as long as people are not afraid to talk about it. Mm. You know I mean? You can't speak about it with people who are closed off because they want an answer right now. Okay, get Ian right on. Okay, so so what's, what, what's racist... You know, I can't answer that just because I've been racially abused I haven't got the answers for racism for me it's always seemed and this is just the way I looked at it for someone who's never suffered it but people generally fear difference in some way shape or form yeah. and this is just a really nasty horrible yeah. dark version of yeah. that it's like yeah. the, the worst possible form of that and yeah. the more you keep speaking like this the better it's, it's going to be that's all yeah. it is guys that's all it is, is you know people being able to to, to like myself, a black guy, be able to just speak about racism mm -hmm. um, in this kind of forum, um, so as people don't feel like you you have to be embarrassed about it, because it's nothing to be embarrassed about if you are ignorant towards yeah. towards it and you don't know. You need to educate those people. There's a kind of like a new form. It feels, and we'll get we're skipping around all sorts. Well, no, fuck it. Sorry. Uh, well, you mentioned Raheem Sterling mm -hmm. there. Uh, it, the papers mm. seem to be, you know, honing in on him for for that reason, and mm. it's like, you know, it's bad enough when people are in the fucking stands doing it, but when the yeah. fucking respected, supposed, uh, yeah. you know, journals are at it, it, how does that make you feel? Because you're a kind, kind, you're a journalist now, really. Yeah, yeah. I feel when you look at um, the way um, Raheem is treated in there, and the fact is now that Raheem and the guys and black guys have got platforms now where they can answer it themselves and you saw what Raheem done with his post and what, what that done it made the journalists and people think more and in, in depth about what they write and how they, they word what they're saying mm -hmm. but can you I know, ask do you genuinely think it did or do you I think, think because I what think you they had to realise Lawrence what they were saying and how they said it <laughs> even when you looked at that piece and the way one of the black the black guy was portrayed for, for buying a for splashing out two and a half million splashes out on the house, you know, twenty five thousand pounds a week, the Manchester City player splashing out on the house for mum, and then you got the Phil Foden um, footballer by his house, by so his house. So sweet, yeah. you know what I mean? You know, it, and and that is what Raheem has shone a light on. And you know, when people saw those in isolation, you think to yourself, okay, now, and you do, so you look at it, Lawrence, and you think to yourself, well, that's a little bit of a difference in the way that they're explaining those two stories the thing that strikes me is like racism uh since you know watching your watching your documentary and seeing how overt it was has found more subtle ways of being racist mm -hmm. which is why they never went this black guy bought a nice mm -hmm. car they mm -hmm. go raheem sterling we all know what he is <laughs> bought a car yeah. a bit too much like it becomes then he didn't wash it then, so yeah, exactly fucking trump <laughs> no, but, but the, but that's the point is like the implications of those yeah. things and, the, and it's the silent implications of those things you 
that that's hard to fight because mm. you can't come in and go racist because they yeah. were not being racist we're no, just no, pointing no. something out that's almost as bad as being like fucking whatever you know can I, you know something I'm going to say something it's probably controversial um, but I think that when you think of racism and racism and, and how far it goes back and how it's, it's intrinsic it's, it's in the DNA of, 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 um, of people um, and that's passed down the different generations and y- you almost get um, you almost get the feeling that it's uh, almost like he's just let's make sure he knows his place mm-hmm. That's 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 what it is. I remember my granddad saying to me, like, black people are lazy and things like that. Mm-hmm. And I remember being like, why are you saying like, mm-hmm. I, But as a kid, luckily for me, I was smart enough to realise he's a fucking idiot as well. <laughs> so, Granddad's a lazy too. Yeah, but, like, I mean, uh, yeah, yeah, but, but, but it, it does get passed down. Yeah, it, it does, does get passed, passed down. down. Yeah, and, and you know what I mean? This is why when you say the ignorance of it, mm. if you reach the right person, so if you reach you, you're going to be fine. And then when you, we reach you, then you're going to tell somebody, say, well, to be honest, that's bollocks because of it. Mm. And then you'll be able to reach and teach another one mm. but like in respects of um, someone like I say like Raheem and the way the point I made about um, keep, like stay in your lane almost you know know your place it's got that vibe about it the way it's done and like you mentioned you know, it's subtly done you know what I mean we're talking about somebody who um, with, with his childhood and everything that's gone on you know with his father and, and, and the, the, the fight that he's had to get where he is and Let's face it, at the moment, Raheem Sterling's playing a, a brand of football that I didn't think he'd get to the level of when he was at Liverpool. Yeah. You see him proving, but he is actually, he's, he's absolutely brilliant right now. So the, the journey he's had up to this point with everything that's gone on behind the scenes and the, personals, the personal journey is much more interesting than the car not being washed, shopping at Primark, you know what I mean? All this bollocks. bollocks. What comes on? These are the these are the, this this story. What he's got, where he's got to, where he is now, is so inspiring, and not just for black kids, for everybody, because he's 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 gone through a journey which has been very very difficult. But they do like to harp on the negativity of the so-called stereotypical young black guy with money, um, cars, having a good time. We see all players at some stage. Um, having a party, he's doing stuff, but they really focus on him in that way. And that's mm. why when I mentioned it, and I don't want to go too long about it because mm. it can get really um, hard for people to listen to when you're talking about races, but it's not simple. And mm. this is what I'm saying. But what you want is for people to just to, just to treat him fairly. And this is why when you say about how they wrote, wrote it, is it, was it, ting- it's, yes, it's tinged with racism and we've just got to accept that so as we can move on. Because one thing I when I my first job actually in in football was with you football journalism yes. you and I filmed together I knew a, you'd find a way to get on a green screen yeah. no no but the, <laughs> but, the interesting, but the interesting side of it was that every we had uh, Dubry on mm. we had uh, Clinton Morrison mm. all these players who everyone went I looked up to Ian Wright Ian Wright was my hero and then there's there's a video uh, a night video of you taking like. Uh, Raheem out to like some yes. fish and chip shop or something yeah, having a chat yeah, with him yeah. it does seem very much and the way you speak now you can even tell you're a bit of a mentor for all these people because yeah. someone who's willing to pass knowledge on yeah. was that something you consciously did or was it like just the people will come to you like you know and just be like Ian I, I don't know what to do how did you deal with well, it in, in respects of role model yeah like well, that you, think, every black player mm. we, I, I've ever spoken to has always mm. said Ian Wright was of a certain generation always goes Ian Wright's the man because I came, I came from a, a similar background to them and what they've seen is that my personality of course you know what I mean I've knocked my edges off I know exactly how to be in certain situations but I'm exactly who I am I still I still am 
Ian Wright, um, who came from Sunday morning football and realises I was very fortunate to, to get the chance I got and took it, but I don't change the way my personality is. You know, that's, that's what they recognise, and they recognise as well that you can do it as well. You know, it sounds very um, obvious that people say, yeah, but that's why yeah, I looked up to Ian Wright because he came from the same kind of place and I realised that Ian Wright's there doing it so I can do it. And that is as simple as it is. And so what you do is you want to try and make sure that you're blasting the path what you're doing, how you see it. I'm not going to try and say, oh, I'm not going to do that because if I do that, then they're going to do that. I'm doing what I'm doing and I will make mistakes. But what you've got to understand is that you have to be able to be in a position where you can speak up about stuff so as they are not afraid to get to the same level and realise that, yes, there is certain things that you can lose by speaking out and speaking your mind about certain things that might be quite um, friction, like friction, cause friction with people. But if you believe it and it's the truth you're telling, you have to stand by it. And I've just always tried to be very true to myself mm. with what I'm doing. I've made a lot of mistakes, but like my heart and the way I am and the people I've got around me, they not, everything's in the right place. Mm-hmm. This is why when you, you, certain things that come from social media in respects of abuse and that, that it, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Honestly, I'm impervious to it. And, and that's why I can laugh and smile at it because they don't know me. And when, when I speak to those guys, I said, you've got to be true to yourself because if you're not, it will, it will come to the light. Mm. You know what I mean? But just do what's right. Always. You know, I like that about you because you never, you've never, I don't know if you've ever, I'm sure there's been times where you've been challenged to keep a hold of who you really are, yeah. especially with all that money and all that fame, mm. but you've definitely maintained that and you're definitely there now. Um, there's one footballer I feel like right now is not uh, sort of a man of the people the way mm. you are and that's Rio Ferdinand. Right. I think some of the things he's been saying lately, I know you're kind of mates with him, yes, so yeah, I want to bring yeah. it up. He's... Um, He's obviously been chatting shit about Newcastle. Now, that's fine. Like, yeah. like you say, people are going to make mistakes. Yeah. But my main frustration with him as a pundit mm. is the fact that when he had the thousands of tweets yeah. basically saying, this is why you're wrong, this is why you're wrong, this yeah. is why you're wrong. Yeah. And he was clearly wrong. I mean, yeah. we're not even going to get into why yeah. he was wrong because we yeah. have a fucking day. But the point is, is his attitude, rather as a professional yeah. pundit, rather than to be like, yeah. you know, like you just said, hold me hands up. Yeah. You know, I, I'm going to make mistakes. I'm yeah. a pundit. It was to put the fishing rod out and be like, oh, I was that trolling was, you yeah. on BT Sport where I'm paid to know what I'm talking about. Right. I was trolling you for all that money. Yeah. Um, I just feel like that guy who comes from a similar place to yeah. you hasn't kept the grip of... Or, or at least that's the way it feels yeah. as someone like looking at him. Well, what's going what's to happen is is that with the, with the incident, um, you know, it was, it was factually wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, unfortunately... For Rio, whether he's got the right people around him to say, listen, Rio, you know what, that's fashion. maybe we should just, you know, maybe just like ease off away from it. Because I remember when I had a go at Newcastle fans mm. about Andre Mariner getting so much stick, it was unfair for the Newcastle fans to give him that much stick and put him under that kind of pressure. Mm. They came for months. <laughs> <laughs> was just I don't think you I think it was the supporting Pardew when you supported Pardew yeah, that really right. didn't help matters the thing about it is is that we'll get on to we'll get on to that but I don't want to defend oh, from, from the real thing because there's not really it's not I cannot sit here and defend mm. what, because it was factually wrong what I what I find very surprising um, with what that he, he he continued to like I'm talking yeah. yeah, and that is maybe something that he, he, if he, in hindsight, he he, he wouldn't do. He, 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 again, if he had the opportunity, he wouldn't do because what it will do. And you saw there was a lot in the comments. There was a lot of people, and they weren't just Newcastle fans, because what happens is is that 
when you, you've got so many people coming, giving you the facts and the facts of what's going on. Like me, I've been wrong on Twitter so many times. I'd like to think not factually with what I'm doing because I've got people around me that won't let me get into a situation where you say something what's not factual. Kelly people Cates is good with that. Absolutely. She brings good. you right up. Brings me right <laughs> when Ratty's wrong, speed. Kelly Cates straight absolutely. in there. And so when you've got that, so I, I know that I'm safe in that respect. But mm. when I'm wrong, maybe abusing or because I have my moments where I just hammer somebody on there who's being a, a dick uh-huh. you know what I mean then people come say righty man come on you're bigger than that shouldn't you do that? then you leave it and they say bam sorry that was wrong mm. sometimes you just need to do that what you what you have to notice and I know that they, they, they my, my allegiance to Alan Pardew Right, it's something that obviously wound him up. But I was on your podcast about this because you were like, I had to ring ring in and I remember he was like, no, he's not doing that bad. And I was like, I'm telling you, man, he's shit. But you know the thing is, is that Newcastle fans will will know that there's so many times it was terrible. It was terrible what was going on with him and he was a Mike Ashley man um, if we're going to go deep into it. But the fact is, he is somebody that I've known since 83, 84. And I'm not saying I'm backing him and, and some of the poor displays and what happened um, at Newcastle just because he's my friend. But anybody will know that if you've got somebody that is your friend and you're, you're in the media, you cannot hammer him like that. You can't, te- you can't put him away. Mm-hmm. Because Alan Pardew himself has been upset with me because certain, I, I, I remember we had to have a discussion when we, before we do the date, debate show when we was doing it. Because he didn't want to do it with me um, because he thought that some of the things I said about him in the past, he didn't like because we were mates. And this is where the Newcastle fans have got to understand that I, I'm, I'll be balanced. I will not... But the thing is, though, the thing is, we, we, every Newcastle fan would understand that you're mates with pods from back in the day and I don't think anyone would have... Everyone's got a heart and everyone's got mates and everyone understands that. But when you're literally spouting incorrect facts... Yeah, that's the... What, this is what let, I'm saying, In the right? words of Rafa Benitez, we're talking about facts. 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 All right? <laughs> Otherwise, you're fact. You're chatting shit, Rio. Okay. <laughs> that's, what, that's what Rafa should have said. That's it. it been, but the thing is, this is what I'm saying. You can't defend that. Mm. And this is why it's very surprising because I've worked with him and I know that he's very meticulous in what he's doing, but I'm not going to make excuses for it. You know what I mean? He's just come back from the Maldives. Maybe his head's still in the clouds. I don't know what happened, but I, I would love. You're not to making seen. it better when you say he's coming back from a five-star <laughs> holiday. Right? He, he's just come back from. A he's just come back from the Maldives. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm Who ready. gives a fuck with, about yeah. facts? I'm chilling <laughs> with his amazing with his amazing <laughs> girlfriend. Yeah. He's just back. Um, he, he I read, back. It. I read yeah. that. So you know what I mean? I don't know. Sometimes he's, he was off guard. But mm. like I say, the only thing for me is that I, I think that once it started to get into the realms of the people are starting to question your credibility, then somewhere along the line in respect of management, somebody should be pulling that up. Because I know my man oh, Roscoe. My, my favourite thing Rio said of everything, he, when he went, I mean, why buy you two £30 million players when they get injured? Yeah. And I was like, I was like what? What? <laughs> and what is, all right. Um, as, as it happens, little fact though, Go on. Just, just to come out today, while we're on the subject. Rafa Benitez says Newcastle, Hundred and seventy-eight million were made in the last year, wow. and we're now the eighth richest club in, New- uh, in, in Premier League <laughs> in, in Newcastle. Newcastle. <laughs> in the Premier League, though, that's sick. That's there, sick. there are some well done, that, Mike. Well, well done. Good. 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 Yeah. So, is that is that are those funds available to? Rafa? So, what, no, uh, we're going to buy five Ash- HMVs. What, it's exactly. fantastic. <laughs> what Mike actually said a year ago is, "I'm going to make every penny available yeah. to Rafa." It was obviously. Clearly making a lot of money. We're um, minus eight million in the last year. Uh, we're in profit, so that's. Can I can I ask one thing? Um, yeah. Now we set the record straight on Newcastle and those. What's it like when 
have you ever been on set when someone is just absolutely chatting shit and you just have to apart from Alan Shearer you're like <laughs> I don't say that about fucking no, no, Alan no, Shearer right you, sat, you sit there and you're just going what is he doing like you mm. are going oh that must have happened shit. that must have happened no, no, next, see my eyes yeah I'm like no 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 I would uh, you know something um, or is there a, like next time you see Rio are you going to be a little bit like yeah, come on Rio um, or is it gonna, just like no, no, well, to be honest, we'll, we'll just be we'll just be normal because I won't I won't say anything, and I'm sure he won't bring it up. Mm. Um, <laughs> Do you remember know, that time where I fucked up on camera? Yeah, no, um, just generally. I, I just won't. No, when, no, when you're a pundit, though, when you're so, a pundit, surely um, you, you've sat there. Um, I'd say more more early days, mm. but I'm not going to fucking sit and out people. You, you lot trying to get me to slaughter cat, sort of comrades. No, but, yeah. well, comrades. I'm not asking for actual names. I'm, I'm not asking for names. You sat there and you thought, Jesus. Mm. and you know what, what happens when you sit there and you hear somebody saying something that you think, that, that doesn't sound right. Mm. Then you're, you've, got a, you've got a predicament. You're, you're in a predicament there simply because... Um, do you remember, do so you, the Shira Janice, I don't know if you remember this, Shira shut Jermaine Janice down big time on something he said about, was it the Chelsea Spurs no, game? Yeah, yeah, it was Chelsea and Spurs, he, and he said that fucking, they deserve to win it. Oh, yeah. yeah. And Shira that was, shut him that down. Was, that was, yeah, but the thing with, yeah, but Shira has got that, Shira's got the filter. Let's, let's, he's got the filter, yeah. and he's, he's, he's like that. You know what I mean? You look at him, he's fucking, you know what I mean? It's, it's brilliant to see him smile. <laughs> <laughs> It's fucking great to see him smile. That's why I constantly send him. He's a beautiful man, isn't he? It's good to see him happy, isn't it? Right, I love seeing him. I love seeing him happy. But he is one of those people that if he hears bollocks, he's fucking not having it. And and the thing is, bullshit. Wait, wait, wait. That's what he should do. Some fucking gifts. Bullshit, man. He should do some gifts. Way back, ever since I've known him, he's never sat there. People talking, saying something, and he he wouldn't say it's bollocks. (laughs) <laughs> He'll say it. He won't sit there and listen to, to maybe Jermaine talking about yeah, um, Tottenham deserve to win it because he said, Alan, they conceded four goals. How can you deserve to win it? They conceded four goals. Yeah, but the way they played, the facts are they conceded four goals. How can you deserve to win a game? You know what I mean? So that's the thing with Al. And with me, like I was saying, the point with me is that you hear them saying it, then you've got a, pr- a problem where you can think, now, do I have to, do I say... Well, you're, no, what happened there was, and then you correct them in mm. front of fucking people on the television. Mm. Then all of a sudden you're thinking like, that might be a bullshit move. Mm. And you've got limited but, time as well. So you've only got like exactly. 10, yeah. so then you're So what should happen from a production point of view? You should not be on there unless you've got the facts of what you're going to be speaking about. Mm. So as then you know, so that's sent to you. Do That's you what do, happens you do with that me. Research? You do that, you do quite a lot of research. Well, what's it called, especially now with my, with my new management? Anything like anything what we're apart from here, fucking I've got to go fucking fly solo with you two. I don't know what's coming next. But the <laughs> oh, fact you'll is, find out. <laughs> yeah. But the fact is with us, we if, if I've got to do match of the day, then we find out what games we've got, who we've got, and then we'll find out who I want to speak about, and then bam, we speak about what we want, and then we find out what we're gonna say and we, we that's what we do. When, when it comes to being stuff. a pundit, right, nowadays, um, we know you and Shira especially as like the faces of English football now. Like you guys are the ones who we look for every week. And pretty, I mean, there's other ones on there, but you are the ones everyone's favourites, right? That's clear <laughs> as day. But it wasn't always like this. You had a period of time where you went really quiet in the yeah. media and you drifted yeah. away. And I remember being like, "What the fuck happened to Ian?" Yeah. Right? Like it, yeah. it, it, because you were this huge name, huge face, and then all of a sudden went really dark, really quiet. What happened there? You know what happened, Bright, is um, there was a time I was at um, Match of the Day and it was the Jester thing. It was, it was funny, I was at Talk Sport yeah. and I'd done a piece for Talk Sport and I kind of like, I ranted off, fucking just went off on, I've got things to say, sitting at the end, 
you got Anson, then you got Al, and then you got me. And then what, what would happen is, is that Alan would say something, then I would say, and when it comes to me, it's literally done. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, the things what I wanted to wear, things what I would say, I'd, then I'd make jokes. Then people, if social media was about as much as it is now, I'd probably get slaughtered mm-hmm. um, because then people say, what's he adding? What's he doing? Because I'd find that I'm on the end and there's nothing left to say. And so I remember doing a piece talking about, listen, I don't like this rigid BBC, uh, go to Alan first, you know what I mean? And then he takes up all the stuff. And you know what I mean? Every, every time I say something, someone from the fucking upstairs at the BBC comes down and says, um, yes, we need to see him right. He's said something that we're not really happy with and this and that. And, I've you know, been there. You know what I mean? And then it was the same thing. I remember like Paul Scholes, I, mem- I mentioned the word, I think it might have been at the World Cup, creaming. Oh, he's got to be creaming about that one. <laughs> like, fucking honestly, people... <laughs> I don't know why that's fuck, so funny. Can you imagine the fucking... The, the, the BBC. Upstairs at the BBC. They, 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 they fit the tea spat out. There's yeah. so much paperwork you know, to do. Absolutely. The and word so, creaming was said. I'm actually... Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's worked with the BBC so, before and he told us what it was. Yeah, but the, the thing paperwork. about it is, is that then what happens is, is that what's... Is it the duty log? Yes. Went fucking yeah. mad. So if, if three people... We're talking about as, how many people? 60 million people. If three people say, I was offended by Ian Wright saying this creaming. and that. So that happened... But guys, on a fucking nearly on a on any time I was on, that happened. It got fucking jarring. It, mm. it was fucking so angry. Were they telling you how to dress? Did you say? Well, to be honest, there's certain things you they weren't telling you how to dress, but like your like your mannerisms and stuff. You know, they were trying to they were trying to hold me into this guy. This guy that will will be the one that... Mark Lawrenson. Yes. <laughs> they wanted <laughs> no. you to be the next Mark. <laughs> Whether or not, but it felt like I was being cajoled and dance this way mm. and, and so I blasted off in this piece talking about it and then what happened was is that the BBC obviously dropped me and then <clears throat> what happened was uh, is that obvious did that not feel a bit unfair to you at the time you ain't got no one to back you up have you you haven't yeah. got anyone to I didn't have not one person come out and say yeah Ian Wright's right you know what I mean you don't hear what he says he hasn't got anything that's why yeah he was a, it seemed like he was a jester mm. you know so what's had to happen was is that I've left the BBC, then I couldn't go to ITV because the fella who got rid of me, Niall Sloan, who's now like a, a father figure to me, Niall, um, he went to ITV. So Brilliant. I couldn't get work at ITV. <laughs> so, so in the end, that, that's where I, I You were shut doing, out. Yeah, sh- shut out, shut out. So you ended up having to do stuff in Qatar um, for, for, I think it was Al Jazeera at the time yeah. or something. And I was doing radio. God. Is that where, yeah. That's kind of where our lot get banished. To. Richard Keyes and yeah. the like. They, that's where you're sitting you, when you're naughty. That's where you go. Yeah, you Fuck go, off. Don't come back. Jose's over there at the moment. Yeah, yeah. People yeah. act like you're still fucking top of it. But I kind of what happened when I went there was because you had such a short amount of time to try and express yourself and say stuff, is that they, you had a much longer time to do stuff. And then what I'd done during that time was I just started to read more and just be more in depth with what was going on because I wasn't on telly. And in the end, I just um, thought to myself, well, I just, I just want to know more. So I just fucking blasted into just getting more mm. and more and more to the point where I remember um, ITV wanted to do, the same guy, Niall Sloan, wanted to do a piece on Laurie Cunningham, um, his life. And, you mm. know what I mean? Laurie Cunningham is a big hero of Amazing, mine. Yeah. He was the one who was the one I looked up to as well as Cyril Regis and the guys. And so... They said, well, we can't do it if Ian Wright's not involved. And so at the time, I kind of, I kind of said to them, listen, I'll, I'll do it. But um, <clears throat> at some stage, you've got to give me another blast. On the t- you've got to give me another blast. You know what I mean? So it went like that. <clears throat> Excuse me. 
And so in the end, they said, okay, so I've done that show and it went really well. People really loved it. They said, oh, Ian Wright, it's great to see Ian Wright on the television again, isn't that? And so they got all that kind of feedback. Um, and then they gave me Chelsea versus Brentford. And I was with Martin Allen, which was like a fucking home run because I don't know what the fuck he was talking about. <laughs> Literally didn't know. He was like in some other thing sort. And I just, bam. He set you up to look fucking yeah. great. Oh, mate, it couldn't have gone any better. And so, honestly, Sound. from then, from then, it, it just just went. I got another one, got another one, got another one. And then all I'd done during that time was just continuously worked on researching and making sure that you, you're factually right. And, that. and now... That's, that's where I am. So that's how that happened. I, and that time I wasn't in it. Mm-hmm. I, I missed it. I mm-hmm. missed not, not being in it. I was doing a bit of radio and stuff like that. But It's I a crime though because it. you were always the, the, you had your own TV show. Yeah. I remember watching This Is Your Life yeah. with you, uh, yeah. Yeah, with me mom being yeah. like, oh, he's got so much personality. Like, <laughs> no, I couldn't believe it because like, footballers were just boring to yeah. me back then. Do you know what I mean? I know. It, it but that's what, like, to, that's what happened to Brian because all of a sudden I wanted to do my badges, right? Yeah. When I finished playing, I had the time, I had the money, I had the, the time to be able to do the badges, which would take two years to get everything done because all I do now is question, I wonder if I could have been a manager. I know how hard What do you mean is. could have been? Why not? Why not, why not Because now? I'm not sure if I had the leadership qualities and now that I didn't take the badges to get myself in the arena to try, it's a question where, you know, I'm quite pleased I don't have too many regrets, but this is a regret um, that I, I, I didn't have, I didn't have the Will balls you ever to do say. It? No, no. Will I have the balls to say um, to those managers at the time, no, 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 I'm going to take a couple of years off. And, but then you got them saying things like, um, yeah, but you, you know, they're going to forget, you need Why to your stay. Heart, yeah. You know what I mean? And so, so in the end, that's how I went to the television, reluctantly. You know, when I first started, yes, I was doing people like Denzel Washington, Mariah Carey, Will Smith, and it was fantastic. Just then, you just, but then, bam, excuse me, bam, bam, watch those, just yeah. Drop those in because coming soon on the True Jolly podcast. Next <laughs> week, so. And so, was it? Because so, what happens is, is that you're doing that, and it was brilliant, and you're, yeah. you're on a crystal away, but then that kind of eases off. And then all of a sudden you you, you get you go you go to the BBC and then they want you to to do stuff. But we kind of yeah we don't really want it to happen like that. So then they're trying to fucking mould you into this again. And so then I started to lose my way with it because I thought I don't really deep down want to do this. This is not really what I want to do. I want to be doing football stuff. And so you're in these contracts and you have to wait till they finish. And then once they finish, I stop. But then I lost my opportunity to be, to do the coaching because I watch it now and you see people getting sacked after like months and it's fucking ridiculous and you know you think to yourself could I do it would I be able to deal with the press would I be able to deal with um, an, like an owner like that mm-hmm. it, it's not giving me the opportunity and the capabilities to would you to do it do you, gen- I don't think I'm, way. Lawrence I don't think I'd be a good manager because I haven't got the patience I haven't got the patience for it and like you know yes I've been doing punditry for a while and I've been in that warm Nice warm fucking booth where everybody everything's everyone looks after you. Everyone looks after you. Tea when you want it. Exactly. You know, you get into one. One thing we haven't touched on, which you explained what you were doing, but you went from football, 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 Mm. then TV, football, and then all of a sudden, like very little. A lot of people describe that feeling like when you're just doing, you're not doing what you've always done. Mm-hmm. It's like a bit of a life changing moment. Was there ever, ever, was there ever a moment where you wake up and be like, "What the fuck am I doing?" Yeah, like, what was that like? So many times, so many times. Um, simply because I think the reason why I dealt with it as as easily, a lot easier, easier, I should say, than um, people who have been in the game from the age of sixteen, yeah. and then you retire at thirty six, like I did is because I had a life before. So I wasn't like 
all of a sudden retired and what what now? <coughs> and you know, gambling, mm-hmm. drinking and stuff like that. I didn't do that. You know what yeah. I mean? I was I was more active in myself, you know what I mean? I wasn't I just I was I would my sliding door moment, like when just to quickly go back to Palace. Um, I, I got a good job. I had Sean Bradley was Bradley was just about to, was just born, and Palace came for me, and I turned them down three times. Mm. Um, and I tell this story all the time because I didn't want any more rejection. When I went to Brighton for six weeks, I begged Stolen Borrow to try and get down there. Scored in their first team games, scored in reserve games. It didn't happen. And it was the fucking last time I wanted to be rejected. So when Palace came, I turned them down three times. And I remember there was a time when I was at Tunnel Refineries and I went to have my, my, my lunch. It was egg sandwiches, egg rolls with those crusty rolls. I remember it. Beautiful. Um, be, uh, because me and, the, me and, the, me and the, um, the foreman, we never, ever crossed paths in the canteen. And, this, and I used to do this thing where I was just fucking skiving, really. But I'd walk up there as quick as I can. So people say, fucking hell, that geezer's always working. But I just go up there, find somewhere to just loaf for half an hour and not do anything. Yeah. And then... That's my walk, kind of craft. You know what I mean? And then I just fucking walk down there with like real purpose and people say, fuck, you're always working, always busy doing stuff. But I was just fucking finding another place to, to, to skive. And this particular time, we, we got into <laughs> That's the... That's amazing. Ca- you know what I mean? I love, I love the idea he's walking really quick and they go, he's going off to Sky for half an hour. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. My favourite Sky is when you just sit in the toilet for like half an hour and just be like... <laughs> as long as the toilet's yeah. warm. There's no mobile warm. phones back then. Yeah, you exactly. could do that. You would have just been looking at a wall. So then we end up in the canteen together. And by this time, I'd been asked by um, Crystal Palace twice to, to have this two-week trial. And I turned them down. And we're sitting there eating. He said, so what's happening? He said, no, nothing much. He said, what's going on? He said, what's going on with the football? Are you playing? He said, yeah, it's going really well. Your palace here, they offered me, they offered me that trial again. They want me to go. He said, listen, man, they've offered you, that's the third time now. You know what I mean? That does, that, and that say something to you. And I explained to him what happened at Brighton. The fact that I was really afraid of rejection and going back to the community for another trial and then everybody in the community saying, yeah, fucking, you're good with us, but you're shit when you go to the... Prefer-. And that was one did, of the did, main reasons... Did they enjoy saying that to you, do you think? Did they enjoy being like, did, yeah, you're, you're a bottle job? You know, you walk into the, into the dance and everybody's yeah. in there where, and like they said, yeah, look, and yeah, he's just come from Brighton. He good. He's only good. You know, you hear those things. You know, my brother would hear it a lot more. Yeah. Brother would get into a lot of conversations and arguments about people digging me out for not being... Yeah, he's just when he came from Brighton, so... When I had a trial for Palace, I just said to him, will you be able to keep the job for me for the two weeks? Because obviously, new kid, which is Bradley, Sean was like three and eight months off, just coming up to four. And I said, I, I literally can't afford to lose this job. You know what I mean? And he said, yeah. And I literally went to Palace, the trial, thinking after two weeks, I've got the job, don't give a fuck. So I just you were 22 then? 22, yeah. Man. Two kids mm. at 22. Yeah. And you're, you're, risking it. <laughs> you're risking it all playing a game of football. Mm. I you fucking admire the balls. You know what? I'll tell you what was really, one of the, the most vivid, vivid memories I've, I have of it is that I remember when I had to go to the trial on a Monday, I, I was having a bath in the morning and Bradley would always come, he's about 18 months, always come in the bath and fucking continue to eat the bubbles out of the bath. And I'd have to fucking stop him and move him out. And if I put him out of the bath, he'd Man. come back crying. So I'd have to bring him in to try to explain to him to not to eat the bubbles out the bath. Yeah. And I remember him there and I just, I, you know, it's really fucking weird. I've never told anybody, but I remember he was sitting there just walking around his little paddy pan and so and I was telling him what was happening. I'm going to, you know, I'm going for another trial, Brad, you know. I'm going to go to Palace. The, the Brighton one didn't work out. And, you know, I'm just speaking to him, fucking walking around. Going, Sometimes you just need someone to You know what I mean? I just spoke to him and I said, yeah. I'm just going to fucking go for it. 
I'm just going to go for it. And it's really, it was at the time where Palace needed me or a striker because Andy Gray was playing up front. They moved him into the midfield, put me up front not long after they brought Bright in. But I went to the trial and once Steve Koppel said, I'm going to sign you for three months after I'd been there for two weeks, guys, tears, the tears flooded down. I've done a, I do a lot of crying. I cry a lot. I've noticed that. And, um, and then um, what's it called? They only signed me for three months. They only signed me for three months, but that is all I needed mm. once I got in. And honestly, the people, when I remember I still go to the parties and stuff like that after games and you fucking go in there and the, the people from the, the ends, you know what I mean? The people from, they, they were so fucking proud, man. Because remember we had David Rollcastle doing his stuff at Arsenal. Mm. Just started same, kicking in. It was the same area as you, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, we, we grew up on the same estate. So, mm. you know, and when that happened, you're speaking to the older guys, the OGs, um, you know about what, and they're saying this is where you we we can't be seen in seeing you in these places too regularly. You shouldn't be coming mm-hmm. here. This is your chance. You've done it. You're in. Don't fuck this up. Then you score like a hat trick on your debut or something. Like no, that. was it two? No, I came off the bench and scored against Oldham. Oh, that's right. Uh, you know, how'd that feel? It was um, again, you know, fucking emotional <laughs> because they were singing for me to come on. I kept coming off the bench as a um, as a substitute. In a couple of games, and I really blasted it when I came on it. The post, I think, in a couple of games, and it was exciting for the Palace fans. And I remember we were losing two-one against Oldham. We had a player called Kevin Taylor who, who scored a goal from the midfield, and I came on. I caused all sorts of problems. And then I remember Alan Irvine. Remember him? Yeah. Played for Everton and everything. I remember he went down the right side and um, he cut back onto his his left left foot, and he swung one in. And I just, at the far post, I edited it in, and I remember the half a weight stand. I ran from there all the way down, clapping them, thanking them, for mm-hmm. cheering for me to come on. And that's where my affinity with the fans came from. Because, And the fact that, you know, if I'd done something, what was a nice little bit of skill, they'd, oh. So it was just like, it was perfect. It was just a perfect place to show off every Saturday. Mm-hmm. You know, you have a shot, that just whistled past and go, oh, they loved it. It was like, it was dream. They're not expecting stuff. the perfection that other fans make. So any, any, <laughs> any little thing, they're like, fuck me, it's amazing. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Kids kids that's it, that's what Newcastle's low. like right now, mate. Honestly, <laughs> get yourself down. But it was, it was, it was, it was, you know, it happened so quickly. Remember, this is something I've wanted since I was a child. And it happened in the space of two weeks. And, um, you know, let's, no, let's, let's say it happened in the, in the space of six weeks after, other than the two-week mm-hmm. trial. You know, all of a sudden, my life has changed. And having having two kids at that point, was that on your mind when you entered the pitch? Because for me, I, I mean, I remember when I went offshore and started working at that age, uh, pressure's on you, like mm. in terms of like if people are like needing you to provide for them or whatever. Were, could you wipe that out and just be like football? Once you, it's, it's, I was very fortunate that because I love it so much. Mm. Um, once I was playing, you, you kind of forget what's going on on the outside. Mm. You really, really do. Um, especially I had so much to learn as a striker. Remember, I come literally come off the side of <coughs> the football pitch, learning of, of, of making sure that you keep the ball in certain areas, mm-hmm. making sure that you're not doing, you're not trying tricks in areas where they're going to win the ball and, and, and get at your defence. And it was really tough because when you've got people like Jim Cannon, old, hard, um, Scottish centre-half and Mickey Droy and George Wood and all those guys fucking absolutely slaughtering you at half-time, um, if you gave the ball away, it was, this is where Steve Koppel, I know Steve Koppel couldn't wait to move those guys on because they were suppressing a young, vibrant Palace team, which everybody saw um, 
come rise up yeah. in, 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 in the late 80s. Were there a lot of pressures <clears> then or tensions in the dressing room? Yeah, because the old guys were very much, um, very, very like jealous of the young guys coming through. Mm. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, so Would any of them make a man out of you and sort of like haze you and like really have a go and stuff like Jim that? Jim Cannon done that. Yeah. Jim Cannon done that a lot. I think when Mark Bright came, he was like a more experienced, older black guy who, mm. you know, they kind of respected a bit more because, for, for whatever reason. But he's like, the nicest man in the world. He's I can't imagine man. Brighty giving it yeah. back if someone... No, 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 but he's not going to give it back in a in an in a abrasive way, aggressive way. He's, he's respectful. Gonna, he's going to be respectful. Right. And he's going to tell you in a way that, you know, how you should do it, how Martin Luther yeah. King done it, how you, you, you're, you're being a diplomat, yeah. you know? Brighty was basically the guy who I commentated with for the first time ever. Uh, and he like took me under his wing on that and uh, he's Always a great him. lad Mark Bright turned me into a professional person mm. he was the one we, we roomed together you wear cardigans together <laughs> you wear cardigans he loves together. a cardigan he loves right, a cardigan yeah, totally yeah. Yeah. he loves nah, he's hilarious oh Jordy good to see how yeah, you're doing yeah. there. he's, he's um, yeah you know he, he you roomed together me. yeah we roomed together for years what he's, was so like to... he's so funny though isn't he so down the years who have you roomed with you've roomed with some big names um, well so Mark Bright um, then Kevin Campbell, uh, Dennis Burkamp, Dennis Paul Paul Ince of England, and then it got to a, a stage where you know you just you had your own room, which was much Big better. Time then, you, did you become so senior that you would just like look, just give me my suite and let me yeah. go? <laughs> no, I just think that it just happened like that. Right, it got to a stage where um, I think that rooming together was more a case of putting yeah. people together so that you can bond. And, yeah, you know. What, so what after- was you like in that dressing room? Because there's an image of him in the. He seems really like stiff and a bit like you can't just chill out and have a good time. Well, he can. Could you have yeah. a good laugh with him? Yeah, yes, Pards. And you know, Pards is one of the guys that when we were in the meetings, he would be the one who would talk about the tactics and what's going and what what he thinks should happen mm. and how he played. He's a very average player. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It'd be, it'd be what you would you'd call that holding midfield guy, but unbelievable energy. Mm-hmm. Easily the fittest guy. At, um, at the football club at the time, but very—he's he's an intelligent bloke. He, he One was. of our mates, uh, I think you know him actually, Pete, uh, Pete Gibbons. Oh, yes, you know Pete. yes, um, big Pete. Uh, he went over to a mortal drunk the other night in a nightclub. Uh, Pardew was there, and he was like, "Oh, you know my mate, True Jordy," and apparently Pardew turned around and left. <laughs> Yeah, because he f- he didn't know what was coming. No, I think it was po- partly was- because Pete was absolutely off his tits as well. Yeah. Though. You don't really want to talk. You to don't Pete. really want Big Pete coming over no. to you no. off his tits, saying that he knows another no. big fucking. No. <laughs> yeah, if you just say True Geordie's coming, you just go fuck. Get my jacket. And go, you know, yeah. No, so, um, what was your like best memory at Palace? What's the time that you I look f- upon? I think um, I think when Jim Cannon that left, and it was like you know me and Brighty and my mate Tony Finnegan, Jeff Thomas, um, people like that. Uh, John Pemberton, Berkey, that team what got us out of the second division and got us into the first division at the time. And when we got into the first division, we finished third. You know, mm. after losing 9-0 to Liverpool earlier on in that season, we had a, a brilliant, young, driven, athletic team. Jeff Thomas, our captain, mm. you know what I mean? And then myself and Brighty up front, Andy Gray, Jeff Thomas in the midfield, that was hard to deal with. Young John Talarco on the left, who was flying. I remember machine. him. I... Um, Eddie McGoldrick, mm. you know, and Neil Redfern before him, and then at the back it was Eric Young, Andy Thorne, David Burke, John Pemberton. It was a team that had experience, mm-hmm. pace, and we frightened teams. Was there a sense <clears> of relief? <throat> was there a sense of like relief when they first left those? Without a doubt, when you the, the, the preseason, well, we finished. We, we you know the pre the, the, the preseason the next time might have been eighty eight or something. 
it was magnificent. It was a joy to be a football. <laughs> was oh, everyone just like, thank fuck those that twats was, I got? Yeah, it was, it, was, it was a joy because like, Steve Copper, who was a young manager, they used to undermine him. Mm-hmm. So it was embarrassing for us in, with them, in, you know, saying things to him. And I remember one time, uh, me and Jim had an altercation on the training field and I went inside and he kind of almost said to me, listen, just, just stick it out, keep going, keep doing what you're doing. And this is when the times when he would say, do not change the way you play. Mm. That's why we signed you. When you left Palace, wasn't there like a bit of a sour reaction from the fans? Yeah, they were nasty. Yeah. Yeah, they wrote Judas on my mum's wall, which is a fucking terrible thing to do to a West Indian Jesus. religious, God-fearing woman. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Ah, Jesus Christ, uh, no, take me, take me, take me, take me. <laughs> it was like, you know, <laughs> Judas on the wall. What was that? Did she ring you and tell you about that? Yeah, what crying, was that? Crying, crying. Oh, I'm talking about, you know, like, my, like obviously my brothers had to rub it off the wall and, and stuff like that, but... It was um, it was something that like the Palace fans who I love, you know what I mean. Like I got my man, who's Cunny. Um, he's on Reezy, he's on Twitter. I love him. He was a goalkeeper that when I got to a million followers, he was the first person I picked for the one more game. For the one more game, he's my goalkeeper, Cunny um, Ryan. And so, why do you call him Cunny? Because that's his name, Cunny. Right, right? Yeah. fair enough. Yeah, yeah right. just checking. Right. So um, <laughs> he is somebody that will fight my corner. Listen, Arsenal, like Millwall was the first team I ever saw a football match at, so I've got an affinity with Millwall. Crystal Palace, I would love. Crystal Palace is a, is a girlfriend that in the end, you know, somebody that I loved and I outgrew. I had to move her. <laughs> I love I the way you're talking about them as women. You know, He's like me. This so what was Arsenal then? <laughs> Arsenal Wifey. is the love of my life. The one you yeah. married. Yeah, right. and a lot of that had to do with David Rowcastle because... When David Rowcastle was signed for Arsenal as a youth team player, mm. and we found out literally the whole estate in and around the 80s, early 80s, you know, 83, 84, I think it might have been, we, we everybody, Arsenal was a team. Mm. So to end up playing there with him, you know, as somebody that when we were younger, you know, when him, him and his mate Kevin Arnold, unfortunately, both passed now, but him and they used to, tr- we used to be playing football at the Creme. And they would try and sneak past because we were older. So I was like four years older than Dave. And like we'd be like 13, 14. And like they'd, so then they'd try and sneak past to go and play on the swings. Mm. And we'd say, all right, in goal. You in goal that end, you in goal that end. And David, David Rollcastle put David Rollcastle in goal, right? And David Rollcastle would literally remember what he would have been nine, mm. 10. Dave Rollcastle would get the ball like when we were kids. And do that rush goalie thing. You get the mm-hmm. ball, throw it like that, go through everybody, score the goal, run back in. The Brilliant. Goal. And you're still going, he's good in goal. Everybody's in there. Get back in goal. Yeah. <laughs> what am I telling you? You know what I mean? But like, um, oh, that's how good he was. And that yeah. is why I think Palace fans feel that just because I signed for Arsenal and like, I'm, everything I do is Arsenal driven, um, they think that I just, just because I went there, all of a sudden I loved them. That, went, that goes back. That goes back to David Rowcastle. Mm. My love for Crystal Palace and the Crystal Palace fans that love me, people like Steve Parrish, I, I love him. He's an amazing man. Mm. Unbelievable um, owner. For Good lover as well, I've heard. Well, you know what I mean? I, I, I don't want to go in there. Sure. <laughs> that was a private time in no money, <laughs> no money changed hands, can yeah, we just yeah. say that? But somebody, somebody who loves the football club and he was, his best times was mine and Brighty's times in and around Jeff Thomas' yeah. times. And so my, my love for the club is something that will never wane. And I say to people that the greatest, the greatest moment in my life would have been if we were able to lift the FA Cup in 1990 mm. when, when, when we lost to Manchester United. You know, I've gone on to win the Premier League and the FA Cup a couple of times. 
um, and European medals, you know, Cup <laughs> Winners' Cup. You've got to throw these things in because you've got to. Otherwise, I, said, forgot, let it be known. I said to Palace yeah. fans, I'm leaving to win things. Mm-hmm. So if you leave, and I, I genuinely meant that, it happened within a week from the time um, I was meant to go to Arsenal till it happened. It literally happened. I didn't ask for a move, didn't instigate a move. I went to training normally on the Monday, went into <coughs> Steve Koppel, and he said, we've accepted a bid wow. from Arsenal. So it happened that quickly. So I didn't get to say goodbye to them. But then when they done that to my mum, and then when I went to play against them, um, and they, was, they sang a song saying about my illegitimacy, I'm a bastard, I'm a this and I'm a that. Mm-hmm. It was fucking hard to take, and so you know, I, you, you know, I, I scored every single time I played against Palace. I scored every single time, mm-hmm. and celebrated. How did that feel? Um, it's, it's it's fucking it's bittersweet because you know what I mean. Like I say, Palace gave me the opportunity. You know what I mean? People say, yeah, but you were good enough to take it. Palace gave me the opportunity, and the fans, especially the away fans, is sponsored me for most of my Palace career. Um, sponsored my kit and sponsored my stuff. They, they loved me. Mm. So for them to, to be singing that, and it was hard to take. Um, and so, you know, celebrating and then kissing the badge at Arsenal. I thought that at some stage what, they were going to they were gonna boo and then they would clap me off, but they were still really quite vociferous with their, with their stick towards me because I think that the, especially the, the, the numpties, it was a case of jealousy. Mm. I went to Arsenal and I was successful. And... You know, this is why I only I cater for the Palace fans that love me. I, I I've got no problems with the the ones that haven't got no time for me. I've got like they voted me their player of the century, the last century. I can't ask for any more than that. Mm. And so that's that's uh, indictment enough to make me know what the Palace fans mm. felt about me. But um, that was something when what they done and what they sang. I, it was very difficult to to be able to take in because I was very nervous playing against Crystal Palace. And I remember. There's a time, I think, um, I scored a goal to one of the seasons where they, they went down. Um, and, you know, the Palace fans gave me even more stick. I remember saying to Nigel Martin on that actual day, you know what I mean? I scored the goal and Nigel Martin said to me, um, fuck's sake, like, what are you doing? Mm. I said, I, I was trying to miss. I said, I was trying to miss. You know, but I fucking can't. That's what I do, I score a goal. <laughs> <laughs> He did. I remember Nigel saying it. I said, Nigel, he said, oh, fucking all right. He's trying to put us down. I said, Nigel, I was trying to miss. I yeah. just can't. Um, <laughs> so you're talking about a sad memory, um, like football and memory. What about when you went to Arsenal and you and Rocky uh, scored on oh, one, of the, one of the first games you played together? The greatest was that game I've ever played in. Like fairy tale greatest stuff. Greatest game I've ever played in because I just told you. David Rokar, somebody that... <clears throat> and it's, I knew David when because when I went to Turnham School, David Rowcastle was probably in the infants. So I got there at eight from Gordon Brock and I got to the infants at Turnham. So David Rowcastle would have been in the, um, in, in the infants. So that's how long we go back. He was, in, he was in the same class as my ex-wife. And so that's how far we go back. So then for us to, and he was a Crystal Palace supporter. So, you know, we played all our football. I remember there was one time, right, we was in the block of flats and it was me, my mate Clive, my mate Conrad, um, Conrad's brother Trevor, David Rowcastle and, and, and um, Kevin Arnold. So he came into the block, cause, like, just into the block, and he said, listen, um, I'm, we, we, I played for a, t- a team called Vista, right? And they, the team that they were meant to have, it didn't turn up for whatever reason, so we had to go over to Stillness School to play in this tournament with these, with these people, with all their mums there and all their dads, all their kit and everything, and it was all thing. And it was me, David, like I say, Conrad, who's a good, who's a good midfielder, Clive, who was a rugby player, 
and Trevor, his little brother, and Kevin Arnold, who was our substitute. And there must have been 20 teams there. And we won it. <laughs> we won it with no one there apart from us and our young coach, what we had. And um, that's how far we go back and we played. So when, when it happened that um, I was going to sign for, for Arsenal, it was a fucking dream come true, man. Because like I say, David broke into Arsenal and he was a magnificent footballer, man, what he'd done there. And um, when, when, when I got there, I remember we, I signed for Arsenal, went to his house and we were talking about Arsenal until five in the morning. Tottenham, what it means not to lose against Tottenham. I've told this story so many times. And he was somebody that he just... You mentioned Tottenham. Shut up. <laughs> he can't lose against Tottenham. Tony Adams the same. Merson the same. Mickey Thomas the same. Kevin Campbell the same. Everybody who came through, you can't lose against them. We spoke about it. So to actually play in the game, and then we, we got to the game, I was, I was a petrified man. I remember I played in the first game for, um, for us against Leicester and it was magnificent because they was playing a different brand of football and I was making moves but the ball didn't quite come because there's other people making moves and John Hollins used to tell me that. When you play for a team with better players, what's going to happen is other people are doing things and there's other options, there's more options. It's something that I had to learn. But it was so good to play in that because you got touches and I was making moves with people and I scored. And so... Um, that was the only time I played in the number nine shirt for Arsenal because Alan Smith got injured and or he, he didn't pass the fitness test. And then on the Saturday, Alan Smith came back um, and then Paul Davis gave me the number eight and it was me. And the first goal was I went through, had a shot, re rebound, David Rowcastle scored the rebound and then I scored a hat-trick in the game. So it was like, and then I said something about the Broccoli boys. I don't know what it was, but... It was the it was the best football match ever. It was like living in the dream. It was living in the living the dream. It was just it was too good to be true. So when I only played with him for the year, mm -hmm. um, when it came to the time where he left, it was I was devastated because I, I literally went there because I knew he was going to be there, and um, I, kept, I went into training that morning. And David was outside. I remember George Graham saying it was the hardest thing he's ever had to do. Um, so he was, he was outside and I saw him and it was really quite, you know, you could see he's agitated and, he's really, and I went over. And as I went over, he had tears in his eyes. And I thought, fucking hell, what's happened? I thought something happened, the family, something. And he just said, they're selling me. Fucking hell. I was gutted. Devastated. We both started crying again. <sighs> Because it was one of those things where I genuinely didn't think um, he was going to leave. It was just so... It was like um, like Mark Bright saying when, when I left. He said, I, I, we didn't expect... We didn't... You just... When something hits you that, like that, bam, and you're, you're gone. Mm -hmm. I didn't expect... I didn't see it coming. So when, when, he, when, he, when, he, when, he, when he left, I, I was shaken for about... I was wrong for about two months. I remember Tony Adams. Tony Adams, you know what I mean? When I went in and like, I had to go and see, see the boss. And like, I was crying when I saw the boss and he's, and he's doing his big speech about, Ian, that's what happens in football. You know, he's doing his stuff with his Scottish accent. Ian, that happens. People move on. That's how it goes. You know, where did, I'm, I'm where quite pleased I've done the accent because it's made me fucking stop feeling like I want to fucking cry. Where did he actually get sold to? Sorry. Leeds. Jamaican Leeds. Leeds. Right. <laughs> yeah. Got sold to Leeds. Yeah. And um, like I say, it was it was out of the blue and 
in the end, we, we kind of dealt with it, but it was a very difficult one to deal with because um, it's never happened. That's the first time I've had any kind of setbacky kind of shock in football. Everything was just plain sailing up to then. Mm-hmm. Everything was brilliant at Palace. You know, I had all my people around me. Everything was great. I was playing every week. It was great. And then you go to Arsenal and then all of a sudden you're playing with your childhood friend mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, he, he, you know what I mean? And they sell him. Fucking devastated. How much longer, how, how long was it at least before, before he obviously got his diagnosis? Um, well, I think... Let me see. He, he he wasn't when he got his diagnosis. He'd left Leeds by then because he oh. went to he went to he, he, when he came back from Malaysia mm-hmm. is when he got when he when the diagnosed when when he was diagnosed, and it was one of those situations where again, you know, it it was really fucking hard, Brian, simply because he he, he made the phone he, he called and so he's speaking like normal like this. So mm-hmm. lymphoma it was Hodgson's lymphoma. And it was a. It, it was. He phoned and he said it. And the way he spoke um, when he was when he talked about what it was, it kind of made you feel like, oh, okay. So it's fine. He said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna go and check. It's gonna be fine, you know, and do this and that. And so from the time that he was diagnosed till you know he he, he passed, it was literally the time what they said it was gonna happen. Mm. But when he was, was younger than you as well, yeah, so you're died, sitting there was, thinking, yeah, it's so, a young guy, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, so he's, he, he died, when he died he was 33. Hmm. And I remember what the hard thing about it was the phone calls that, you know, because I can hear, you know, when you spoke to him, the, his voice. It, it was a, a, a croaky huskiness that was, you couldn't help, but, you know, tears, you know, you couldn't help it and, he would be the one trying to let you... Um, He'd be the strong one. Have you always had such a powerful memory? Because I'm, I'm shocked that when you recount things, you, the egg sandwich, mm. like you remember so Good much memory. detail it's the, the, from, from moments. Yeah, but it's the moments. That, those moments literally are... They changed my life. Ah. So that's why I can remember what I was eating at the time. Mm. You know, And with David, I can remember literally every single phone call and... Uh, it's difficult. How did you? How did you like get through that? I don't think I ever. I can't because, like, even in this kind of setting now, and you take a minute, mate. Tissue. Yeah. When when I think of the phone calls, how he was speaking, and you go back to your childhood. Sorry, bro. Take take a second, man. I know it's hard for you. You, you go back to your childhood, and then um, you realise, and then what happens is, cheers, nice one, this one. I mean, we're, we're scrambling. Like, we're scrambling here. <laughs> we're fucking shit, mate. Only the best. Tissues. We're fucking shit. You think back to when he was nine and ten, mm. and all those kind of moments. And I remember when I saw, when I saw him in in, in the in, in the coffin, Brian. Mm. It's a it's an image that I've since then. Well, you know, you go to funerals and they've got them over. I cannot I cannot look inside mm. them because I can't I can't deal with the fact that at thirty three he was gone. Mm-hmm. And his his family, you know, his girls and 
Ryan, his son, his unbelievable wife, Janet. You know what I mean? We're still very much in contact, but it's it's something that... It, 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 things like that happen to the best people. It's fucking one of those situations mm-hmm. where I'm very God-fearing and, you know what I mean, I had to be because my mum was and we had to do all that sort of stuff, but that's when I had my arguments with 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 God, you know what I mean? Like, remember I was saying, I was speaking to Brad, Bradley when he was a, a child. I fucking remember having this fucking screaming match just speaking in a room about taking him mm-hmm. and taking kids and you know with this terrible disease and, and it's just I don't know fucking it right. makes you question life man it really does it does and the thing is is that with uh, with religion and all that sort of stuff you have to have faith I have faith it's things that happen that, and they continuously happen like um you know, where when, when something happens and then another thing happens and another thing happens and you think, what the fuck, people... I remember when I was younger, um, my mum and, you know, they always got sayings, you know, like, you know, God's not going to give you more than you can handle. And you think to yourself, well, really? Because this is, you know, this is really quite tough, mm-hmm. you know, to try and get answers for why David Rowcastle gets taken at 33, why kids get cancer, you, you, and, and die, you know what I mean? Why people, the parents, go through the fucking shit what you have to go through when, you know, you, you, you're, you, you, you're pregnant, you're, you're desperate for a baby, and the baby comes along, and then in fucking two years, the baby contracts something like that. Why, would, why do people have to go through things? I remember having that kind of argument, just swearing, and the thing why I do my praying, like, because I do, I'm God-fearing, and I, just at the same time, you know what I mean, I'm very... I'm very, um, you know, what's the word I'm looking for, Lawrence? Uh, when you're philosophical, not, sure. not philosophical. The other one where you're not quite sure. Right. Okay. So agnostic, you're agnostic then. in a way. Exactly. But, I mean, so exactly. you you, so, you believe in a, in a in a god, but it's maybe exactly. not. Believe, yes, because I think that's been ingrained in me. Right. Too many bad things happen. Too many bad things happen through religion mm. and things like that. And a lot of stuff happens through religious religious beliefs. And so you you do question that sort of stuff, and then you question. Like, you know, I was hearing, it would have been, who was it? Joe Rogan. Mm-hmm. Joe Rogan said, you know what I mean? Fucking, if you, if scientifically, you think to yourself, you know what I mean? Yes, we were a certain kind of monkeys walking the earth. We fucking ate some mushrooms and it opened our brains <laughs> up. You know what I mean? Is that any more, is that any more fucking outlandish than what people say about how Scientology came about with mm-hmm. Eden Hubbard, whatever his name, with the aliens on a yeah, spaceship? Yeah. Or the snake and Adam and Eve, a talking mm-hmm. flying snake. Mm-hmm. Is a Neanderthal man walking around and all of a sudden starving, you know, walking around and found some mushrooms, ate the mushrooms, told them to his mates, then they start eating them, they get more wisdom and this and that because their minds are open. Is that any more fucking outlandish than listening to Adam and Eve being the... Cri- so no. those are the kind of things that I talk to when I speak and I don't want people to think, fuck me. No, no, but, but when what people mean, die, though, what's that, what's that fellow who turned to Christ? Was it not David Icke? David, David Icke. Icke. Say, no, but Fred Dyke right. was head of the BBC at one point. Yeah. But, when, <laughs> the thing is, though, when when people die, the point is you contemplate life, mate, and that's what you're sitting there that's doing. Exactly you're thinking, what, what the fuck am I here yeah. for? Why are people dying who mm. I love? And we all have these fucking thoughts. Yeah. It's just your you've got the balls to actually say it and say, yeah. I sat in a room on my own and I fucking had a conversation with whatever was out there and try to reason with. What, what, what the hell is so going what, on? What uh, did come of that conversation then? Well, to be honest, you say what comes of it, but I think that the mere fact that I was able to just be in there blasting it out because I was on my own. 
because you know this is, these are the times where like you see like now probably won't be finished at some stage I'll I'll, I'll have my, my, my a moment again where I'll probably have a, another conversation because it happens like that because the David Rowcastle death is something that I don't think I'll ever get over I will never get over it and so um, you say what came of it I don't know but mm. I think that the, being able to say it um, was it was it was something that kind of like gave me a little bit of um, I don't know I got it off my own chest or something I don't know sometimes I feel like out of that kind of pain and I've lost a lot of people I mean my I lost my young cousin 22 years old 23 years old and that mm. and th- you're looking at this kid and you think and you had it all you know, you know mm. you're just taken away from you mm. I, I kind of feel like when you're feeling like that we do grow from that I, I you can't yeah. have that kind of pain yeah. and 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 get through it without growing yeah. from it. You just and that what you're sitting doing seems to me like you're just, just yeah, finding a way. To, and this is why um, this is why I do feel very fortunate with the, the way it's gone for me. Mm. You know what I mean? I, I, I honestly and and now I've got a and now I've got a missus, uh, my two little girls. You know I've got a missus that is just amazing, guys. Mm. You know um, that's very she's perfect in respects of the person. That I need to be with, and even, even the way we met in a pub, a cow in Notting Hill. You know, what I mean, it was a time where I was, I split up with my wife, divorcing it, and I was there going to my mate Bardi's, um, who's, who's a dear friend of now. And I remember I went in there and I, I saw her, and I remember I'd, I'd been involved in a twenty-year relationship. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And you know, I remember when I told my mates I, I met someone. You know what I mean? Obviously, being as close as close to me as they were knowing that what I've just been through what I've just what I've just come out of they were very supportive listen Ian man it's very fucking early man you've got to be careful come on man just just relax and just live a bit and do so I said no I know I know because and the reason why I knew is that once once I got her interested she was fucking blanked me for about fucking two months bro <laughs> she's a massive palace fan <laughs> that's the problem is it <laughs> She blanked me, but the thing is, is that um, my man Conrad, who used to do my clothes for at the time when mm. I was doing the television shows, he lived with her and her sister. So he's the one responsible for the leather pants thing. <laughs> yeah. uh, I've seen them, I thought, they are 90s as fuck them, son. I love it. I, see, I, I look back at it and I said, really? <laughs> no. But at the time, everyone wanted leather so pants. Yeah. You know what I mean? But like, you're like Ross and friends. fucking cringy. Like, some of the times I look at my stuff and I think to myself, yeah, I feel like I look really cool, man. Yeah. I fucking look back, I look like a prick. <laughs> if you're not going to dress like that then, though, then what's the point, well, really? No. That was the whole I mean? point in the 90s, mate, honestly. Yeah, but the thing is... Is that I why mean, you have such an affinity with other... Like, there are a lot of guys that you know that dress in a very outlandish way, sort of, you know, I see you out and you're you're a very suave dresser now. I tried, yeah. You, dre- you hang around with a lot of people who are maybe questionable dress. You know, there's a yeah, lot of people... Yeah, but it's like I say to my girls, I like, I, I go back to my missus, but like I say to my girls, just... Dress like you're just getting dressed in the dark. Mm. Whatever you feel you want to put on, put it on. I saw an advert the other day where a guy got dressed in the dark and I can't remember what the advert is. I don't want to promote it on here, but I thought, what fucking good idea, man. Yeah. I'm going to do, I'm going to do that at some stage. And that's why you've... No, Clearly, oh, right. and you picked the day. Fantastic! No, 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 yeah. no, fuck off, you two. Yeah. <laughs> Brian does the same thing. No, I mean, yeah. I just mix and match. But yeah. the point I was making with my missus is that um, it wasn't it wasn't like a bag. She didn't know anything about football. Didn't know anything about me. Um, I tried. My mate introduced, and I just persisted and persisted. 
And to the point where, the, the, you know what I mean, I thought, oh, she's not going to... But then, in the end, I remember we were sitting in the car one time, I said, give her a call, see if she'd just come for a drink. Just come for a drink. Because she, she'd blame me for a bit, but then she'd say hello, and I'd try to get in, mm. but try to buy her a drink. She'd never take the drink. So no, it's fine, I'll get my own. And, and so, it was really hard work, and I remember every... I literally could not stop thinking about her. Every waking moment, everything that was going on was thinking about her. And plus, I was with him all the time. So you seen that? What's going on? Until the, in the end, we, we, we got together. And it was the, it's, it's the greatest thing I've done in my What life. made you persist? Because, because there's a lot of women the, out no, there for him, right? No, Do you know what I mean? She was the one, and I knew she was the one. Can I, can I ask about I you, she's generally one. your relationship history, though? Because mm. clearly, um, as you said, you weren't very good at it no, at one point. No. Why were you not very good at it, and why are you good at it? No now? guidance. I remember earlier on, I said I didn't have a guidance. I didn't have a big, I didn't have a big brother guidance, a father guidance that made me realise how to respect women and how to treat people. And did you get that guidance though, or no. did you learn it? Because with no. me, I, I always feel like no, no, no I learned it. I, I didn't I have the dad figure, yeah. so I became him, sort mm. of thing. Eventually, I didn't know. I didn't, and you know, you know, what I mean, it sounds like we're about to burst into a song. I did not know what love was. Yeah. Didn't get love in a, in a way that made me realise how I'm going to give love. Because mm. the, the kind of love I got was, I don't know, I can't even remember. I remember saying to people, can't, from a certain age, I can't remember getting a kind of a, um, a, a what kind of... A, affection a, a, a in Affection, any way? kind right. of motherly uh-huh. kind of like... Till I started fucking playing football, everybody was all over me. You know what I mean? Mm. Fucking if I got downstairs, like the, f- the first place I bought for my mum was like, in the top floor. If I got downstairs and I said, listen, I'm downstairs, I need to come up, fucking probably come and come carry me up. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And before that, you know what I mean? You couldn't get the time of day out of people. But, mm-hmm. you know, I did not get love. I didn't know how to give love. And it's something that I'm still learning because my wife came from a very supporting, loving family, you know, and um, I didn't know how to express. What is it like being ab- around that family now for you when you see how they are around each other and you're like... Sad. Mm-hmm. Very sad. Mm. Very sad, you know what I mean? Even, you know, I've got me and my sister up to this, we don't speak. I haven't spoke to my sister for how long we've been together in that? 15 years. Wow. Because I've got, I've got relatives who I've just sort of cut out of my life. So- yeah, but my sister was very disrespectful to... Mm to my wife when we were younger mm-hmm. when, when, I, when we just got together she's very disrespectful because I remember we got together it was we, we were together now and my sister um, obviously she's <clears throat> she, she knew my ex-wife and my, my kids and so she felt like she had to take a side which I couldn't understand because mm-hmm. I'm her brother and I remember we, I had to do I had to fill in for Russell Brand doing Big Brother's Little Brother mm-hmm. that show mm-hmm. and uh, she said she wanted to come and I said, listen, my missus is going to be there. And I said, um, I don't want no, I don't want no fucking scene. I don't want you to be disrespectful or rude. If you haven't got anything nice, just fucking don't go over, don't speak to her. Don't do it. And what she done, um, I remember, so it's all done, I've done the show, everything's fine, bringing it to Sierra there and everything. What she done was, um, Nancy, you know, that's her sister, Nancy, like, because she's a decent person, went to introduce herself she totally blanked her in front of people. Mm. And Nancy was with her sister. Totally mm-hmm. blanked her. Right? Um, saying something about, I have, to be, I have to be true to my niece and nephew. Totally right. blanked her. So, remember, this has happened while I'm doing shots in the green room. And so, when I came out, um, Nancy said, hey, what's, um, what's happening? Where's my sister? Did you see my sister? And Nancy said, um, yeah. I said, well, where is she? She said, well, she, 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 
you, you understand what happened? And I, I tell you what, you see, like I say about fucking, I'd never hit a woman and I would never hit a woman. When I was young, we're talking about um, uh, the, 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 the restraint I showed with her when we were kids to the point when I went over to her at this time, right? This is why I know I would never, because I was, I, I could feel it fucking from my toes, Brian, the anger. I could feel it because I asked her specifically and she's like my mum. She says, I don't give a fuck about anybody. That's because like, my mum's the same. <laughs> I don't give a fuck about my mum. That's how my mum yeah. was. That's how she yeah. was. They're feisty, they're in people's faces. And I went over to her and I said, as long as we live, I don't want to ever see you again. Mm-hmm. And the only time I will speak to you is when you apologise to her. And she said, I ain't fucking apologising to anybody. And I said, well, that's fine because that's good. I will never have to see you again, speak to you again. Understand. To this day, you know, people say life is short. And, and you know, people, be, people might be listening to this thing, yeah, but you know, no. There's certain times that people themselves have to realise, you yourself, you have to realise that is wrong. Yeah. We've been together for 15 years now. You know what I mean? Happily 15 years. She should see that this woman is the woman for me. Somewhere along the... And the fucking irony is her and Mark Bright are together. Mm-hmm. Her and Mark Bright are together. Now. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Fuck, I mean, fuck, fuck me. You know what I mean? So that's what we need. So what, what happens now? What happens with them two now? Can because we- Mark Bright is somebody that is a big brother, um, somebody that I respect as a big brother who's guided me. They're together now. What's going to wow. happen? What's going to happen to get married? What's she going to do? She's going to apologise before she walks up the aisle because it's not going to be acceptable. Yeah. Do you ever think about that? As, especially as like a God-fearing man, someone who, who believes in forgiveness. I want, I want something to happen in that respect because my missus doesn't deserve to be treated like she's one of the greatest women in I the world. I understand that, yeah. Right, so... At the end of the day, my sister and her attitude from the time we were kids to, to now that she's still not spoken to me, who's done nothing but helped the family and everybody in every way I can, mm. has still not found the decency to realise that she should have apologised by now. People will say, come on, you've got to forgive, 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 forgive. No. Because you know if you go down that road with her again and she's shown no remorse, that you're likely to get more earache later on, isn't it? So it's like... You know what? The thing about it is, is that we've accepted that she's... You know what? I've always accepted that I'm not going to be in and around her because if, if the way she's grown up is the way she is now, then I don't want to be around that person. But she's my sister. And you know what I mean? It shouldn't be like this. No, you'd like, you'd like to have a loving relationship with her. I'd like to have a relationship with her because she's my sister. Yeah. But you know what? I can't do that because my principles say, and what I said that day is what I will stick by. Until you speak to her and apologise and tell her that you're sorry for what happened then, which Nancy would probably say, it's not a problem, mm-hmm. it's fine. Mm-hmm. I will never speak to her again. Is it weird for you that she's with Mark Bright, like, of all people? This? Yeah, but the thing about it is, is that Mark's such a decent bloke. Yes. Knowing that we've not spoken for so many years, when, when it happened a few years back and he phoned me to, to say to me, me and, me and your sister are going to become an item. Wow. You know what I mean? Were you the, happy when he said that? Yeah. I'm fucking delighted for him because at the end of the day, I'm happy for him. Mm-hmm. And to a certain extent, I'm fucking happy for her because mm-hmm. she's got a decent bloke. Mm-hmm. You Amazing know, cardigans. You know what I mean? I with, love with Mark Bright. Card, I mean, I'm team Bright all the way. Yeah. He's somebody that I love and I just want mm-hmm. him to be happy. But like I say, that's just like I say, we're on here. And while I'm in this mode, I, mm-hmm. that's what I'm going to tell. I'm, I, this is why 
it's very it's very easy for me to open up to like that because once I started seeing that lady Rosalind Craig, she said, "You speak and you let get it out. Mm-hmm. What you're holding it for, you know, get it out. You know, make people know what you're going for. People need to know the journey if you are willing to give it to them. You don't paint up and have these things inside you." You know You're helping I mean? other people course, as well. Yeah, though. at some stage, somewhere along the line, people are going to get in touch. She'll hear this bright or she might listen to it. She'll find out. That's a fucking olive branch she's just got there, mm-hmm. bro. Do you, do, uh, because throughout your story, I'm sort of struck by the fact that there, there's a lot of chance in your story that mm. you haven't met the right people and done this sort of thing. And you say you're, uh, you're not necessarily religious, but you're a spiritual mm. guy, God-fearing. Mm. It does seem it, like, do you, how often do you sort of look up, look up and think like someone is looking after me or like that sort of thing? Because there's a lot of things where you're saying it and you're teaching it as an older guy than me. Like you you strike me as a very uh, good teacher. Yeah. I'm, I'm not saying that in a bad way. No, no, no. But uh, it seems you've stumbled across a lot of very spiritual conclusions, mm-hmm. th- not through going to church, not through doing these things, yeah. but just like you've come across them in your life. Church and God's in your heart, really. This right. is why when... When people say about going to church and, you know, you have to be in there singing, doing your stuff, you know, if that's what you want to do, that's fine. But, you know, the spiritual, the spiritual vibe I have is, is still one where I can still question the faith. The main thing at the end of the day is to have faith because that's what he wants. He's not going to just do something where you're going to see a miracle and then you think, oh, my God. There is a God. Why would he do that? Because then everybody would just say, well, there is a God, so mm-hmm. let's do that. That's not how it is. He wants people, righteous people, to come to him, to find him, and be, have faith in that. And, like, I'm not preaching to people. I'm not telling people to go to God or go to church. I'm just saying my journey of it is that way. I think of it like that. I feel that it, there's something, just like I feel that we may have found mushrooms. You know what I mean? I, 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 <laughs> that sounds so funny, bro. I, just, <laughs> I love the, the thing way. about it is, <laughs> but this is what I'm saying, so... The, the, to, to answer the question, Lawrence, there is so much chance and things that's happening in my life. You have to think, come on, man, he's right. having so much fucking luck. It's and like that old story, though, isn't it, where uh, someone uh, lost at sea and then the boat ships come along and he goes, Do you need a hand? And then he goes, uh, Oh, no, I'm wait- God's going to save us. And then the third boat comes along and then he goes, uh, He dies and he meets God and he goes, Send three fucking boats, mate. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's the thing. That's it. So, so, so were the mushrooms sent by God? Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, well, that's, that's, part of that's it. it. That's the first time I heard that. Yeah. That's, that's the first time I heard that's that. It. Are we getting wrapped up now, bro? Are we? Are, do, do we, we have uh, to, or are we okay? Okay. Um, all right. I've got three more questions. No, all right. Really? Oh. Can't we do a Joe Rogan and just keep yeah, going? We'll, we'll, we can we'll, get some mushrooms. Yeah. You know? Well, we do a part two. I'm thinking because there's loads of shit I want to. There's talk so much about. stuff we've got. We've got long lists of stuff that we just oh. haven't asked oh, you. Man, you're I'm all, really mate. fucking. So I've gone on too long. No, no, mate, no, you no, smashed it. Long, yeah. I'm, I'm, I've, mate, this will be one of my favorite podcasts too, ever. Oh right? god, I'm really. We'll do another one. Sorry, that's it. That's it. First of my last three questions. If your if your life was a movie what would be the middle point of that movie? What would be the turning point for you where you were like... The beginning of Act 2. If you two. look back on it, what's the... Prison. Right. Because I remember I had to do the television show with um, Football Behind Bars. Mm-hmm. And I remember I asked them, because I had to go back to Chelmsford, Sea Wing, and it was a second cell in. And I said to them, because I remember when I, was nine, when I was leaving that prison cell, Brian, I remember sat there and I said, I will, I will never, ever come back to a place like this. Ever, right? And I remember going in there because we was in there, and I said, "Can you just lock me into this one?" And I sat there, and I, fucking, bro, I felt so fucking proud of myself. 
All right, all right. it all came from the Oh, back. Jesus Christ, man. Because I remember lying there when I was 19 with not a clue what I was going to do when I came out. Not a clue. So I'm sitting there, um, finishing up, wrapping up this show, and I said to just lock me in that one for like, I said five minutes, because I fucking get very close to five minutes. <laughs> five minutes, and I thought to myself, all the memories came back. I remember when I was in there, and they locked the door, your liberty is gone. Your liberty is gone. You're sitting there like an animal, almost. And I remember sitting there dressed in my gear, and I, you know what I mean? I had my long coat and my hat on, and it just came back to me, and I said, I'm fucking proud of you, man. I'm really proud of you. Well done. Up to this point. Up to that, that particular point. I like that. Um, if you had to choose between being liked or respected, which one would you choose? Respected. Because I think that when you're respected, you're going to have to upset some people, you know, to, 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 get, to get to gain your respect. I think when you're being liked... It's just fucking vanity, isn't it? <laughs> well, it's, fun, it's funny as well because you actually don't really have to choose because mm. you've got the the liking and the respect, yeah. which is people love rare, you. It's fantastic. It's, it's it's funny, but like you know, like if, you know, looking at the when you look at the comments, you get so much fucking love sometimes, mm-hmm. man. And then you see one person say, "Do you fucking prick?" And that's the one. And that's the one. Yeah, yeah. That's the one that sticks out. And uh, you know what I mean? I laugh at myself no. in that respect. I laugh at myself, but I think. If anything you're doing, if you choose to be liked over respected, then you, you've still got some living to do. Do you think you aired a little bit at one point? You know, when you're talking about going to the entertainment side of things, that was the time where it was about being more liked than respected. What do you mean? I can't well, you know, when you went into doing TV and entertainment mm. and those sorts of things, <coughs> a lot of people were trying to shape you into a guy I think that that's when they did. Liked, yes. Like, say, the jester, that yeah, guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because and I it, remember watching you as a kid. There was a show... What was it called? Uh, Friends that, like these. No, the guy with the beard. It was a, it was a panel show, a football, like a football sport oh, panel show. It was uh, the one where oh, it's like a, there was a really fat guy who used to host it. With Rory, a beard. Rory, yeah, he was a nice guy. Rory McGrath in it. Yeah, Rory McGrath was in it. And you told a story, and it always stuck with me. Is uh, they think it's all over. They think it's all over, right? And you tell this story about you had a new Ferrari, and you <coughs> turned to whoever was in the Ferrari with you, and you went. Watch this. <laughs> and the next thing you hit a lamppost. Next week we fucking spun over. It was fucking hilarious. Like, you know what? That was one of those. How can words. you laugh about crushing a Ferrari? <laughs> what a fucking. Right? The funny thing is, there are prick. You've got a funny story. And Righty just went, absolutely. Yeah, I and they, you told this. So what, you know was, what that? It was I'll tell you what it was. It was a time I bought this uh, Ferrari Modena, a, a convertible one. And I was so fucking upset with this car because I had a, a, a black Berlinetta, which I should never have sold. I should have kept it to this day. I got rid of it and bought this stupid blue convertible Ferrari. And the thing with the Ferraris now, you've got a button on it. And I, mass- I got into so much trouble with the, with the insurance because they didn't want to pay me out. They've got an ASR button on it, what you, you have to switch off. And I, I had it for, <coughs> I'd say, eight, nine months. And... It's literally like a tiger with no teeth with that button. You start driving it and it just goes, mm, slows down. Unless you turn this button off, right? So I've been trying to sell it. And I bought it for something like 117 grand, right? And um, the, the, guy, the guy who sold it to me said, this is the one. This is the one what everybody wants. Oh, if, you, if you come back to me in a year, I'll, give you, I'll probably give you your money back for it. So I think, yeah, brilliant. I went back to him, he said, I could give you 104. <laughs> I went, what the fuck? Oh, you said this is the um, this is the car that doesn't lose money. Mm. So anyway, so, uh, so 
fuck, I thought, started driving. I've taken this ASR button off and I was with my nephew, Shane, and we're driving up this hill and it's got a really nice little chicane bit at, in, at the top of it. Mm-hmm. And so we're driving up and I said, fuck, I said to Shane, Shane, watch this. And I went, boom, and fucking floored it. And I went, turn, turned it to the right, fucking back end started to go. So, I tried to, get, so I tried to get the other end, fucking hit the pavement, fucking ran up, got a seatbelt, fucking rolled over his thing and slide down oh. the <laughs> And then um, I remember there's a there's a fella on in a, on a ladder saying that's just really stupid, <laughs> really Unreal. stupid. And then the, the first thing I thought to myself, quick, run! Yeah. And I thought, what the fuck am I running for? Fucking got insurance. Fuck Shane, quick, get it! And I went, oh, fuck. He's Within two minutes, and right. yeah, Within two minutes, there was like paparazzi there and everything, but. Aww. At the end, uh, at, at the end, because like it was in short for like, what, I got all my money back. <laughs> I got, got one seventeen back for it. Unfucking money comes to money, doesn't it? <laughs> These prick footballers, I, I tell you, you're religious. Honestly, that is I'd believe in God after that. I would, have, <laughs> I would have died in that. Yeah. All right, yeah. um, that is amazing. All right, my last question mm. is, how would you like to be remembered? Um. I think it's pretty easy for me because I feel very fortunate to get to the to, to the stature that I've I've kind of carved for myself. Still, like I say, I get respected by people, but I just want I want to be probably remembered for for somebody who just got the opportunity and done the very best with it. I wasn't the most educated guy, so I've constantly had to learn along the way. And one of my biggest um, um, I'd say what's the one of the things that my biggest hang-ups is is not paying attention and staying in school to the point where I could educate myself because one of the things that people used to say to me a lot was he can't string a sentence together. He, he, you know, he's, you know what I mean? Fucking, you know, he needs lessons. You know, he's fucking... He's, and that would be something that when I'd read those kind of comments, it used to really... I'd be very insecure about that. So I've kind of had to, along the way, just try to educate myself and make sure that... I, I just want to give people value for money. So what I would say about myself is... I just want to be remembered for the, per- for, the, for the person that got the opportunity and did the very... I rang it out. I rang it out. There's nothing left in that rag to squeeze out. And that's all I want to be remembered for. Mate, it's been an absolute fucking pleasure. Thanks for coming. You've got to come back. Um, I don't know, man. If the, I, I, I can't come back. Okay, I didn't even get, I didn't even get to, 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 to talk about my about Newcastle and well, you know what I mean. And, we'll, and, and, we'll do that. We for might sure. have to do that. Then. Yeah. If anyone wants to um, see more, Ian Wright, he's got his own YouTube channel now. Shout out! We'll put the link in the description okay. below so they Great can sub- as well. they can subscribe to the Ian Wright YouTube channel. <laughs> I love it. That's where I'm doing my stuff. I'm just yeah. letting people know how it is. But yeah. thanks, guys. I've really appreciate. Chew, Julie Bry, I love you, people. Thanks, son. Bring it in. Bring it in right. Cheers, everyone. Bye. Say subscribe. Guys, sir. Bring it in. Mate, you're Big a fucking legend. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot.